Hello and welcome to another episode of Brownie Points. I'm Dan. I'm Nick. And this is the podcast where a guy with a film degree and a guy who knows how to work a DVD player talk to you about movies. This week, Nick and I actually didn't go to the theaters. We decided to stay home with Netflix and check out the Zach Galifianakis film Between Two Ferns the Movie. Then we hop in the time machine and we learn why that baseball has gotten so slow with Brad Pitt's Moneyball. All that on this week's episode of Brownie Points. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. As always, as longtime listeners know, we do not jump right into the reviews because Nick and I like to talk about things that happen in the news, some trailers that just came out, or just some fun ideas that we talk about off mic that we want to tell you about on mic. Uh, we make lists sometimes, funny thoughts that uh, uh, we kind of want to just dabble on a little bit and uh, just kind of make a fun conversation out of it, which is all a part of our segment that we call Brownie Bites. This week we got one bit of news that we want to talk about before our fun list for the week, and that news is that the MCU is going to have Spider-Man again for at least one more film. That's right, Spider-Man 3 is going to happen with Tom Holland reprising his role. The film is scheduled to come out July 16th, 2021, and uh, is it, was it confirmed that there was a potential fourth film or the fact that, like, it might be Avengers 5? I mean, do you remember seeing if there's anything I, beyond that? I don't remember that? if it being confirmed. The thing I read, there, there's some some kind of unknown stipulation about a, another movie, but it's not a Spider-Man movie. So, like, him in a, him appearing in another either Avengers movie or showing up in, like, a Doctor Strange movie is just kind of like, oh, hey, I'm in this. But he's not the top build. Um and then something I heard, too, was that he has a very good chance of appearing in a Venom movie. Right. That was the that was the big thing that I wanted to talk about was the fact that, like, not only is uh, the MCU going to get uh, some kind of closure on that enormous cliffhanger from Spider-Man Far From Home, but the fact that Sony is now allowed via Marvel to have Tom Holland appear as Spider-Man in any of their upcoming films – uh, be it Venom 2, which, uh, I mean, we'll see. They are filming it right now, so they could find a way to shoehorn him in. Um, yeah. Or any of the other films that they want to do, if they want to bring back Sinister Six, or if they're going to try to do whatever else they can with, what, how many characters uh, was it reported they had? Like, two, three hundred characters, supposedly, in the Spider-Man canon? Um, oh, God, I don't know. I yeah. can't, I don't count that much. Yeah, I just... I mean, we'll see what happens. I mean, whatever you want to do with, like, to expand that specific, like, microverse, let's say, miniverse, teenyverse, um, whatever you want to call it. But, Spider-verse. Uh, yeah, sure, Spider-verse. Um, that's more appropriate in this case. Um, I, I, I mean, there's not really much else to really say about it. I mean, it kind of felt like this was going to happen sooner than later, really, like... Um, I mean, call us out if uh, I said something else otherwise or if Nick said something else otherwise, but I don't know. I don't remember being that pessimistic about this deal not happening. I mean, I, I kind of recall we you saying. We were both pretty certain it was going to happen. Uh, this this deal's a little different than what I thought would have happened, honestly. 
Um, This deal kind of feels like, hey, we're going to, we're going to pave it over. We can set, we can now have less of a cliffhanger for Spider-Man after the third movie where it's not like, do you have to have a sequel now? Yeah. Maybe it's, maybe it's not as sequel baity. Um, do you I think, think it, my text to you, I think my text to you as soon as I saw it was, dude, Spider-Man for sure has to die. <laughs> well, um, so you believe it's a full-on like ex- ex- uh, exit strategy? Do you think that's what they're actually like setting up for? Is like a way well, to that like was, that was my that was my knee-jerk reaction. Now, what I what I really think it is, I think it's like a mini deal where it's like, hey, let's get ourselves more time. But Marvel was like, hey, we got ideas we need to finish. And we want to have more time to negotiate with you because you're you're really not budging on this multi movie thing. So yeah, right, let's right, get this it, let's get this one as kind of like a holdover, and then we have time to negotiate and try and work something out while simultaneously wrapping up our idea. Yeah, I it is def- is really what it kind of feels like. I, I agree. I feel like they kind of hit this impasse where they knew somebody was going to have to cave, and now. I again, I I'm fully on Sony's side on this. I'm glad Marvel was the one that at least appeared to have caved. I mean, this is very very early. We still don't have, as of this taping, uh, the full details of it yet. At least financially. Um, the only financial thing I saw was something about a 25 25 percent split. I don't really know. How's that work? A 25 25? I don't know. I I was skimming the article and it was. Uh, I, I've been up since five this morning and it's now ten o'clock at night. Okay. I mean I I had a I had a migraine, fell asleep really early last night, and then woke up at five and I've been up since then. Oh well jeez. I um well okay, well I mean for me I haven't seen any financial details. I did read uh briefly an article that was just kind of fluff about the history of what's going on now, but the the bare bones, like actual information of it was we're definitely getting Spider-Man three. Um, there Faux is show. there <laughs> there is technically an open door for that film for for potential uh, appearances in other films in both the MCU and Spider-Verse, which is a big win for Sony alone. Like the fact that Marvel has finally just said, okay, you can have Tom Holland, he can appear in some films. Let's just we need. Spider-Man 3 on our end, and let's just go from there. So probably financially, it's a little bit more in favor for... uh, I would imagine it's still going to be in Sony's favor, but maybe they caved also and said, like, okay, you let us have Tom Holland back, and we'll go, like, 75-25. I think it was Disney, Disney caved because they realized they had to get the movie back, and I think once the fans kind of sobered up to, like, hey, maybe that Sony's actually right... Maybe they're like, we better make sure this gets done. And then I think Sony caved because they're like, hey, we really don't want to seem like we're the ones holding up this really great idea because that's terrible PR. No, for oh, for sure. I I agree. It's it's a glorious day for us at the end of the day, like as fans. And well, it's obviously an ongoing story. We just wanted to give her a little hot take on it. Yeah. I mean, there's this, this was too big for us to not acknowledge. Yeah, it's. I mean, especially because Far From Home was such a great movie, too. And obviously Marvel is in such a big transition phase. Like, I, like I've been seeing some things that, um, like, Kevin Feige apparently might be getting an expanded role at Disney in general, which 
one person I saw in particular say that uh, they might be trying to mold him into the new like Bob Iger, which would be a huge. That'd be interesting. Oh my god, like him controlling like even more than just Marvel. Like, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves yet, but like. Um, well, it shouldn't go to the person in charge of Star Wars. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Kathleen Kennedy, just, she's, yeah, she's definitely not as great for Star Wars as Kevin's clearly been for MCU. But, I mean, it's kind of incomparable now, like, the fact that Kevin pulled off what he did in just those 22, 23 films, like... I like how you said in in just those double digits of films. (laughs) The fact, yeah, I mean, yeah. It was a mere massive. yeah. Kathleen's definitely not had the same hot streak that Kevin did, but I mean, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get there. If something radical, it, it's 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 not even worth getting into hypotheticals like at this point, because all all right now we just need to worry about is the fact that we have Spider-Man back. So next year, which is frankly a pretty quick turnaround, uh, or well, 2021. Sorry, not. Um, and by the summer of 2021, two years from now, we will have another Spider-Man film, and obviously many, many things will happen between now and then. But yeah, we just needed to t- we just needed to start this first with how happy we are that Spider-Man is back, and we will finally get some somewhat closure. Maybe we'll see. Uh, we're at least going to figure out what the heck happens now that uh, a lot of people know who Spider-Man <laughs> Pressure's is. Pressure's on you, Marvel. You. You finally got the ball back that you were desperate that you were saying like no dude we got a really good idea we got to have it back. Yeah. Now you have the ball back. Well, if Don't there was well there was a, this up. That was a gutsy call to like if they knew that this was coming up to end Spider-Man the way they did to kind of use that as leverage and just hope that the movie made as much money as it did like maybe they weren't expecting it to make the billion dollars that it did. So, I mean, gamble paid off. I mean, sure. Like, maybe it doesn't mean anything to them that he has to appear in Venom 2. I hate saying that title, the fact that it exists. But, um, uh, yeah, real quick before we go into our actual list that uh, this is supposed to be the main part of Brownie Bites, would you rather watch Venom or Suicide Squad again? I mean, I was only bored by Suicide Squad. I actually left the theater angry with Venom. Like... I got in my car and just started complaining to Kelsey for like a solid ten minutes after Venom. I was mad. See, I'm the I'm on the opposite side. I was mad at Venom or uh, mad at Suicide Squad. Like when I watched, I was just bored. When I, wa- I don't know if it was because I heard the reviews beforehand, but like Suicide Squad really just bored me. Oh, I was way more mad at uh, Suicide Squad, especially when I saw it that second time on HBO. Like, yeah. I could have just turned it off, and I couldn't. Like, so, I mean, I don't know what that says, but Venom, like, yeah, I was just kind of more bored at Venom. Like, maybe it would be just... I was just I was like, this is not the character. Stop doing this. See, that's the thing. See, I think that's a big thing, too, is that, like, I didn't have that quite connection that you did, but, um, yeah, I say let's just end it there. Neither of us are excited for what Sony's gonna do, but... That is neither here nor there. That is not the main thing that we wanted to talk about this week with our Brownie Bites segment. This week, if any of you paid attention to us on social media, we happened to pose a question. If Nicolas Cage could be recasted into any film that he was not in... 
any role in any movie. Any any movie in any film, any time. What would you put Nicolas Cage in? And, and my and my favorite answer to that was uh, Luke Carr's answer of yes. Yes. So Luke, we now just have to redo every movie and every role with Nicolas Cage in it. Yes, Luke. You you've had the best response that we've seen as of this taping. Kudos to you. you. Win Thank a, you. An award. Yes, you win a brownie. Um, <laughs> hit us up to claim it. Um, I only personally feel bad that um, I didn't quite go that far back in terms of time, but um, yeah, mine are. Well, actually, I take that back. My first one's pretty far back. I mean, I can't. I can say that. I mean, I would very much entertain the idea of him. Uh, Yelling at Congress uh, for Mr. Smith goes to Washington. I would really like that. Or, <laughs> or if him, if he was uh, Orson Welles in Citizen Kane, like all the various just quotable lines in that movie. Or like just even if it was Nicolas Cage with his stern face uh, when his wife is singing opera so terribly after buying her an entire opera house, and he's the only one there just going like. <laughs> oh my god like the idea of that alone and then just rosebud like <laughs> but those aren't technically on my list um we have narrowed it down to three titles each um uh, i mean nick you came up with this idea uh you go ahead is it surprising to anyone i came up with this idea yeah <laughs> if any of you bet that nick came up with this idea uh, <laughs> if, you, if any of you bet that nick came up with this idea no duh yeah, you you win the captain obvious word of the week. <laughs> um, so, so you kick the you kick this off. Uh, what is your number three movie that you would want to see Nicolas Cage in? I would want to see him as Grand Moff Tarkin in Star Wars, uh, also known as Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. <laughs> <laughs> you know okay, the elegant okay. British guy. No, just replace it with some crazy American, like. <laughs> <laughs> the one line that kept popping up in my head when I made this pick was evacuate on our moment of triumph. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I love it. That's that's awesome. I actually don't I, I have a single like cam- I actually don't have a cameo on my list. Like um Oh, remind me real quick, was Tarkin was Tarkin the general that they recreated in Rogue One? Yeah, he was the CGI guy in Rogue One. Dude that would be awesome if they like found a way to like old makeup him like to make him look even older than he is now like i mean he's yeah. not that old but or 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 uh the other line too where he's like vader release him it's just nicholas cage vader release him release him release him <laughs> like <laughs> or or uh you, you may fire when ready <laughs> or just just like, the really su- or even the really subdued him just like you may fire when ready yeah like i don't know what it is i think it really is just because of how elegantly that role was played just to have nicholas cage oh so sinister and cold show up and do whatever he does yo what if he no, okay, never mind. It, it wouldn't quite work as well. I was just imagining him as a uh, Obi Wan. Uh, no, well, <laughs> him as Obi Wan, like use the Force, Luke. Like <laughs> I wanted to say as Darth Vader, and I was like, honestly, 
Nah, everyone's uh, done the joke of like Arnold Schwarzenegger dubbed in the yeah. original voice dubbed back in. Like they always put just ridiculous things in there. It's like, nah. Yeah. What if I take a person that was elegant? No. <laughs> what no. if he was Princess Leia? <laughs> you're Little the only one stormtrooper, aren't you? <laughs> Luke, you're my only hope. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> I smelled your foul stench from. <laughs> The moment you stepped on board. <laughs> oh my god, that'd be great. <laughs> Dude, Luke Cage in that bikini though. I said a new hope, not not Return of the Jedi. Oh, I was well, A- after a new hope, it goes back to being <laughs> Carrie Fisher like <laughs> nothing happened. <laughs> I was going to say, do a deep fake with Luke, with his face on her body. <laughs> Dude, would that be more horrifying than funny? Uh, depends on if he's making crazy eyes. <laughs> it's his face. From, it's his face from Face Off. Like when Luke shows up, but she's like when you her it's reaction. His face in the airport when he's like, oh, oh, when he's dressed as the priest. Yeah. <laughs> it's that when Luke shows up, it's still in the bikini. Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, what have we thought of? Uh, I love it. Uh, I guess I'll start with my number three. Um, uh, hold on, my list. Here we go. Uh, my number three. It's a. Uh, it's not. I mean, tell me what you think of this. Have you seen the Ryan Reynolds movie from 2009, Buried? Dude, we watched it together. Wait, did we? This is one of the first movies we ever watched together. I came over and you're like, dude, you have to see this movie. It's so intense. Oh, right. No, you're right. We Yes. Yeah. I, oh, my God. I think, I, right, I think right after that we left and, I, and we both went to Best Buy and I bought it. Oh, my God. I can't believe I forgot that we watched this together. Yeah. Wow. I love that movie. And, yeah, he'd be hilarious in that movie. Okay, okay, then, yes, I'm glad you agree with me. That what, affirm- but, what, but what character does he play? Oh, my God. Literally the only character that's on screen, obviously. Don't you think he'd be funnier as anyone that he calls on the phone? <laughs> why, why, why am I buried in here? <laughs> we are using you for ransom money. Like <laughs> that, that, that or when he's like, oh, God. They uncovered another body. <laughs> you Sorry think for you're spoiling the first... buried. You by think the you're way. the you that th- movie's so good. You think you're the first contractor we've done this to? <laughs> um, I, I really like that movie. I, oh, I, I'm glad. But oh. him, him as the main character in that movie would be really interesting because the big thing is conserving your breath and energy and not being a total spastic weirdo. Right. And, like I and I Nicolas Cage cannot do that. I picked this specifically because, I mean, in my mind, well, obviously I forgot that we saw this together, but uh, for anybody that's not seen this movie, it literally stars Ryan Reynolds trapped in a box buried in Iraq. He's a contra- it's, it's genuinely one of the most intense movies I've ever seen from start to finish. Oh, it's absolutely it's absolutely horrifying watching Ryan Reynolds like if you're claustrophobic, this movie's going to give you a little bit of a panic attack. Like the entire 90 minutes of this movie is if Ryan you're claustrophobic, Reynolds in the box. Do not turn the lights off when you watch this movie. Oh my god, the sound design alone of this film is Oscar worthy. It's it's egregious that this wasn't nominated for best sound mixing or editing. Yeah. But um but no, the, the, imagining Nick Cage trapped in a box for 90 minutes, like, 
I want to preface this entire list by saying I was just kind of flipping through my DVDs, just kind of – that's kind of where I was uh, – just any title that stuck out to me where I thought Nick Cage could be in the film, I just kept whittling it down from there to just three. Yeah. I, I would really, really like to see Nick Cage freaking out, like trying to figure out how to MacGyver his way out of this box. Like it could work seriously or like him over the top. I think this movie could be really entertaining either way. I just way. think him over the top would be hysterical. Well, yeah, obviously, but, like, it, it could really work either way, because, I mean, we've seen Nick Cage in serious roles. We've seen him in Wicker Man. Like, uh, either way, I feel the like... The It's in my eyes! <laughs> I, I I would love... I Either way that he would have played this, I think this movie would have just been amazing. Like, not any... Yeah. Not anything to take... In, not anything taken away from Ryan Reynolds, though. Ryan Reynolds... Uh, I don't think he gets enough praise for that film. To me, that was the first great Ryan Reynolds movie. And the thing that's funny is it's so forgotten. Like, until you mention it, I forgot that I love that movie. And well, I because like, oh, my God, yeah, that movie's fantastic. Well, because Deadpool and National Lampoon. And yeah, like, because he's done so well since then. It, seriously, listeners, if you have not seen Buried, rent it. Go on JustWatch.com and see if it's streaming on something that you have. Yeah. watch Barry. It is a phenomenal our 13, movie. Our 13 second review, I give it sprinkles. Oh, it is fantastic. Oh, hardcore. I, I, this, I honestly, honestly, this needs to be a time machine. Oh, for sure. I mean, well, I, it, it, yeah, I mean, why not? I would, I just, any excuse to watch it again. I mean, I don't know if we can make a whole worthwhile segment out of it. Just, I mean, we basically set our thoughts on it already. Like, I don't know. Well, we well, didn't dive in deep to it. Yeah. I mean, sure. I'm, I'm down for that. I mean, Right now, I'd absolutely give it Sprinkles, too. That movie's one of the best, like, thriller films I've ever yeah. seen. Yeah. Uh, all right, so you're number two. What do you want to see Nick Cage in? Uh, I want to see him in Death Sentence as uh, Nick Hume, the father. Okay. In Death Sentence. I, I think this is the one that actually was not, like, a jokey pick. Like, oh, my God, it'd be hilarious to see him in that role. Uh, his I think he could pull off the craziness that he descends into better and or not better, but in a very unique way himself. And I think that uh, his vi- like his explosive violence would be even more explosive. But also the dark depths that he falls into, I think Nicolas Cage could do a very good job with because of how quietly angry and quietly dark he is or can be in a movie um you there would be like there'd be some funny moments obviously it's nick cage it's something's funny in every movie but this was my one like i'm not joking pick like oh my god wouldn't it be funny if but i, I really think he could bring something to this role i i agree i only want to say that he kind of has done a movie like this and it's called mandy like i've talked um, to you about mandy off mic before haven't i yeah okay it's not death sentence and i'm just gonna leave it at this i think your wish fulfillment with this could be fulfilled with mandy but at a much more like psychedelic level it's definitely a lot more atmospheric let's say than death Is sentence it oh it's artsy wall to wall like oh, great i i don't know it's not <laughs> I'm, I'm being sarcastic. I, I do want to give it a shot. If you if you say it's like if Nick Cage showed up in Death Sentence, there's certain narrative elements to it that are similar to Death Sentence. But in terms of like him being in Death Sentence, that would have been pretty interesting. I do see that kind of paying off in the serious way. Like 
Because like I keep preaching, he's he can be reined in and at least try to deliver something serious. He's got to have that right director, though, like to control that manic energy, to like find that line between like, OK, clearly he's just not trying versus like, OK, this character is actually crazy. And okay, he's not trying. What it's makes not, you say that? It's well, not, he's dragging a board around and crying. See, that there's a difference between Vampire's Kiss and Bad Lieutenant. Like, Bad Lieutenant, you believe that character is crazy, where Vampire's Kiss, that performance is so over the top and that narrative is so unfocused that it's more of a distracting performance where that's the joke is that – or that's the thing you take away from the movie is that, is that it's just Nick Cage just being crazy. Yeah. All right. So my number two, I was about to cheat with my number two and maybe I'll throw it out here, but I had a coin toss between two Stephen King films that came out in 2007, just months apart from each other. And the one. Oh, my God. Did you put him in Dreamcatcher? That was 2003, but not a bad guess. Oh, my God. And I actually haven't seen Dreamcatcher. So maybe that's I've seen parts and pretty funny. Yeah, I've heard it's pretty horrible, but yeah, um, it's pretty dumb. I remember, I remember seeing it. I think I talked about it before, where when I was at ISU, AMC one Halloween decided to have a Stephen King marathon randomly, and okay. I think that was the time that I saw the the most I've seen of Dreamcatcher. That's uh, more than me. I've never I've seen the trailer, and that's it. But um, but no, that movie was in two thousand three, and I mean I'll just throw it out there just as a fun honorable mention, but. The pick that I decided between those two films was the film that starred uh, the guy that played Punisher in 2004. Um, I'm a bad researcher, and I don't have his name up in front of me, but uh, The Mist. I would love to see Nick Cage in the lead role of The Mist. I actually just want to see that movie in general. Oh my, it, it, we have to find a way to streamline that like to the top of our list. Like We have some – we already know what we're doing Like in the next – what? Well, not two weeks now, right? Uh, no, after, at the end of this episode, we're announcing our big uh, series coming up. Yeah. It's going to be a Time Machine next week, and then it's it's its own like standalone bonus reviews. Yeah. Uh, for a bit. Yeah. Don't don't spoil it anymore. Yes, I was just making. I was just saying like I couldn't remember how far out we already actually had concrete plans, but uh, no, the mist. Uh, Tom Jane, Thomas Jane, that's his name, just came to my mind. I want to see Nick Cage replace Thomas Jane in the lead of the mist, being the one sane guy who's just trying to keep his kid alive while this mist, if you haven't seen it, shrouds over the supermarket. And then monsters start appearing out of the mist and start picking people off and trying to break into the I, mist. I know the ending, and I'm not I'm not even sad that I had the ending spoiled for me because when I first heard it, I was like, I've not even seen the movie, and that's absolutely devastating. Dude, I – whether he pulls it off, like, in a way that actually is as powerful, let's say, as it ends, or if it ends up, like, the emotional peak moment comes off comical because of the way he has to deliver a specific line, I'm trying yeah. to be very vague because of people that might not have seen this before, and I'm trying not to spoil anything, but – yeah. Again, I could this see is this a movie. This is a movie that is well worth not having the ending spoiled for. Yeah, I, I mean, you know what I'm talking about, though. I, I could see this going either way. Like, I'm probably betting that Nick Cage ends up being kind of funny, and it kind of makes the movie memorable in the wrong way. But, um, I just for this for the sake of this experiment, 
just seeing Nick Cage in that lead role would just make me so happy. Like, yeah. just to see how he would take it on, like, I would love to, whichever the result, that movie's so dark and it's such a powerful adaptation of that story. Like, Frank Darabont just, Frank Darabont should be the only person allowed to make Stephen King movies. Um, Outside of Armando Iannucci in terms – or not, not Armando Iannucci, my bad. Um, the guy – whoever did it, um, I can't remember his name offhand. I was going to say, by the way, if you're a listener and you have no idea who any of these people are that are that Dan's talking about, neither do I until you said whoever the guy is that made it. I was like, I know who that guy is. No, Ar- Armando Iannucci was the guy that created it. Or, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm just saying when you said the phrase, the guy that made it, I was like, okay, I know what that guy did. No, I just sorry. The guy I was saying, Amarno Iamucci, he's a he's a comedy writer for television. Um, not the guy that did it, but um, outside of the guy that directed it and Frank Darabont, no one else should be allowed to touch Stephen King films. And um, uh, do you want to hear my honorable mention, or you want me to save it for the end? Yeah, what was the one that you had to pick between? Uh, they both came out in 2007. Uh, the other film besides The Mist was the John Cusack film 1408. I, was, I have no idea what that movie is. I was going to – I was. it was a coin toss between uh, that film and this because 1408 is about John Cusack. He's a writer who writes about uh, paranormal explorations that he takes um, like into haunted houses, and uh-huh. he doesn't believe in it at all. He just kind of fabricates and BSs his books just to make a quick buck, but then he actually goes into a haunted hotel room. And it's a one-man show, basically. Like, Samuel L. Jackson pops up here and there as, like, the manager of the hotel here and there. But this room is actually haunted, and it's nuts. And I love John Cusack carrying that film on his back. I thought he did a phenomenal job. I would love to see Nick Cage deal with not only a one-man show, because he doesn't really do that that often, but... A one-man show that's a psychological, uh, supernatural horror film. I would love to see Nick Cage just lose his mind just in this hotel. Like, the way it plays out. I'm not going to spoil that much about it because it's kind of fun just going on that ride with how much this hotel messes with John Cusack's mind. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's I, that's an honorable mention. Like like I was saying, they both came out in the same year and they are both phenomenal films. Uh, that's I a mean, pretty I, interesting sounding idea. I think the I think the mist is a little better personally, but um, it, the, that's why I'm saying though it's a, it's a coin toss just because of the premises of John uh, Nick Cage playing the straight guy trying to just protect his son, and then the way the mist just actually ends versus him literally carrying an 100 minute movie by himself about a guy losing his mind in a haunted hotel. Like either way, like it sounds like a win win in my book. Yeah. I think it's right. pretty funny that we both picked serious roles for him for our number two. Well, no, that's the thing. Like, I wanted number I, three, like, yeah, it can be a joke. Number two, serious. Well, I wanted to have like a serious. And just so you guys know, we did not purposely like set up that rule. It just happened. Yeah, naturally, like because we've seen him go both ways. At least uh, again for me, <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> go <laughs> like, both ways. Jesus. No, I'm glad we were on the same wavelength though. Like trying to find something serious and funny since you can do both. Yeah. Well, my first, my uh, top one's not that. All um, right. What is your number one? <laughs> this pick it actually makes me sad that we don't have a video aspect. The computer you're using doesn't. Uh, the the webcam doesn't work on it. Makes me sad because I genuinely want to see your like facial reaction to this. It's from the first review we ever did. I want Nicolas Cage to be Greta and Greta. 
Okay. But it's still a woman. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, <laughs> oh my God. Okay. <laughs> okay. Like, okay, so. Okay. The, the back. Hold on. I was, I was, I was already on board with him just being <laughs> a lonely guy that was befriended by Chloe um, Grace Mortez. Okay. So, or Moretz. So, okay. So now he's just an outright woman with it. Okay. Yeah. Let's okay. Let's let's expound upon this. Like, give me <laughs> your reasoning. Pretending to be some like sad old woman. It's like, dude, you're Nicholas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> He would have the accent still, though, right? Like, please tell yeah. me. Okay. <laughs> that, so, that French accent. So, so the story behind this pick is I was sitting on the couch, and I was like, man, I got to come up with one more. And I just had a bunch of ideas. I was having a hard time willing them down. I was like, you know what? I want to see if it'd be funny if he was in any movies we've reviewed. So I pulled up, like, all our episodes and was scrolling through, and I scrolled to the very bottom, and I was like, I was like, Man, I could just imagine him like with a shawl over his head, pretending to be an old woman. And I was like, "Sold, he's Greta." <laughs> <laughs> bad, bad girls have to sleep in the toy chest. <laughs> <laughs> or when he's like dancing around and he like sticks the guy, the cop, with with the uh, the sleeping uh, injection. <laughs> Greta, why aren't you answering my calls? I just, I just want to apologize for the crazy way that I'm acting. <laughs> you, you said you're like gum. You stick around. <laughs> so, Sorry, that, so, that really got so, me. That was really funny. So frankly, dude, whenever me and you do watch this movie together again. Or oh. do you watch this movie again oh, together? Dude, and if we if we do a commentary track or if we do oh, if we right do it. like a, a, a one year revisit review or something like that, like we talked about possibly doing, I can guarantee you when that happens, I'm gonna spend a chunk of this movie talking like Nicolas Cage. Oh my god, we have to no, that listeners, we are as as set in stone as you want to call it already no we uh, we've already been talking very much about doing a revisit of greta for our anniversary time machine we really are sad that that review just audio quality came out so bad that's my bad i take full responsibility for it i was it's my bad we didn't know no we didn't know what we were doing but now we do so (laughs) and well i mean kind of yeah i mean well obviously to obviously we didn't know everything but no, I, I'm 100% on board with watching Greta again, specifically for our anniversary. And well, now that you got me thinking Nick Cage in the film, like, jeez. <laughs> Him Nicholas in that, Cage is an old woman. Just, that's dude, hysterical. Dude, in that short hair wig, like. <laughs> but it's like a bad wig. Oh, I'm sorry. My neighbors have been doing some work upstairs. They're making so much noise. <laughs> <laughs> or when, like. Like in Greta when she finally gets drugged, and he starts like tripping out and falling. He's like, "What is happening?" <laughs> Jeez, I would love to see like some post like, uh, like instead of like text messages, like every now and then, like if they redid it, like with uh some selfies, just like some awkward like basically up the nose selfies of like nick cage's nose like think, <laughs> thinking of you like <laughs> oh my god Nicholas cage scrolling through her facebook he's like oh yeah her mom's dead it's been a year oh my god i love this pick i'm, I'm so on board with it 
Um, <laughs> well, I'll close this out with my number one pick. This is another movie that we have both watched, but we haven't watched it for the show. But surely this is going to be a time machine film. It's going to happen sooner or later. I want Nick Cage to be Killer Joe replacing Matthew oh, McConaughey in God. Killer Joe. Dude. Jesus. I want him as Killer Joe so bad. Just that movie. Oh How my amazing God. would that be if he's just like, you got the thousand, you got the thousand dollars. Okay, tell me what her work routine's like. Uh, like, dude, I don't know. Just <laughs> that movie in general made me so uncomfortable. Yeah, eat the chicken, eat the chicken. <laughs> God. If any of you don't know what Killer Joe is, this movie came out in 2011. It stars Emil Hirsch, Thomas Hayden Church, and this was right before what we typically call the McConaissance, and it's directed by Willem Friedkin, who directed The Exorcist. It is about Emil Hirsch and Thomas Hayden Church trying to figure out a way to kill uh, the, ma- uh, the, the matriarch of this family for her insurance money, so they hire a cop who is also a hired killer on the side, nicknamed Killer Joe, to pull this off, and... Obviously, chaos ensues, and it's, it's really it, it. It was the last movie Dan and I saw before, or second to last movie we saw before we started recording this podcast. And I was losing my mind so much. Uh, Dan and I thought we were going to get kicked out of the theater. Oh yeah, no, like this. This movie's not what you're expecting for sure. This is a very dark movie. Uh, most ways that hopefully that you can see this is the unrated cut and it's unrated for a reason because it got, wow. an NC, it got, well, no, it got an NC 17 for a reason. And no, 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 I'm, I'm saying it's, it's unrated because wow, it's just insane. Oh yeah, no, it very much deserved an NC 17 and William and Willem Friedkin to his credit. I mean, he stuck up for his artistic craft and said, no, I'm not going to edit this movie. So I mean, there was an R-rated cut that barely made any money, but most ways that you can see this now is his cut, and uh, it's not worth getting into like the details. Dan, but it's Dan, it's Dan unrated texted now. Me they... one day. Dan texted me one day. I was I think I was coming back from Terre Haute uh, after seeing some friends at ISU for the weekend. He's like, "Hey man, do you want to go see Killer Joe at Yes Cinema?" And I was like, uh, "What's it about?" And you would go. Matthew McConaughey movie and it's I don't really know what it's about but it looks pretty intense. I was like, okay, sure. Yeah, no, we were lucky. That was enough. how Dan sold me the movie, and then I got the movie and I was like, <clears throat> I was like, you did not describe this movie accurately. Yeah, no, we we were lucky enough in in Columbus, Indiana, to see the director's cut of Killer Joe in a theater because, like I said, William Friedkin only. Really wanted his cut of the film released, but um, obviously major theater chains wouldn't release it because it was NC-17. So, uh, <laughs> so we, happened... we saw it at an independent theater. The yeah, we saw it independent theater. Yeah, we saw it at a theater that actually played the director's cut. And there's a scene with a piece of chicken, which is primarily the reason it got the NC-17. And, but, and, um... as, and as that scene's starting to begin, I was talking – I leaned over to Dan. I was like, I don't want to see what I'm pretty sure we're about to see. And then they replaced it with a piece of chicken. And I was like, this isn't any better. Eat the chicken. Put the chicken in your mouth. <laughs> God, that movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, without getting really more into spoilers with that, I just – there's not like that much like screen time that – really 
uh, he t- he would take up versus like Emil Hirsch or Thomas Aiden Church, but um, just the sheer screen presence that this character is supposed to embody. That again, Matthew McConaughey hit a home run with it. Ryan Reynolds with Buried hit a home run with it. Uh, Thomas Jane, perfect in the mist. I would just want to see some Nicolas Cage version of this this dirty cop that kills people on the side for however many thousand dollars he does and it wasn't even that much money from what i remember it was like a thousand dollars or like two thousand dollars something like that and then yeah he, like and then he took a like cut of the it insurance wouldn't even money. cover your bond if you got like arrested for this yeah like it wasn't that much money but then like on top of that he becomes infatuated with emile hirsch's sister and who's that... supposed to be like 14 uh, yeah she was definitely underaged um, yeah. <laughs> she's like what she's like 14 and he's like 40 yeah this is in, again this is nc17 for a reason um but again i just wanted to have a little bit of nick cage spice on top of this just because like this movie's already so wild the way it is i just seeing nick cage doing it i just it wouldn't even need to be that crazy a performance. Like most of uh, Matthew's performance in the film is just very subdued, very quiet, just like. Yeah, there's rat- no there's no time really where a freak out would happen. Well, I mean, at the uh, the very 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 end. Yeah. Like I'm not gonna say the final line of the film, but. By um, the way, have you seen it since we saw it? Dude, it's been a minute since I've seen that movie. Actually, I haven't I haven't seen it since that day. And I remember one time like being in Best oh, really? Buy and and yeah. I remember walking in Best Buy and actually seeing it for sale, and I was like, you know, like at the time, I was like, you know what, I need to like make sure I got enough money for gas till payday. I was I was working a job in college, so not a lot of money. Oh, I thought you I thought and, you did I thought you did I, buy it. No, I texted you. I was like, I'm gonna go back and end up buying it, and then I just now remembered I never went back and bought it. <laughs> okay, well. Maybe whenever we do that for the time machine, I'll just drive up and we'll hang out for a weekend or a day or two, and I'll yeah. bring my Blu-ray copy of the director's cut, and we'll just watch it again. <laughs> yeah. That movie's cool, man. Oh, that movie's great. I love Killer Joe. Um, it's so insane. Yeah. The listeners, find a way to watch it. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. <laughs> I'd be sh- I'd be shocked if it was. I'd be amazed if someone's like, let's put this on our streaming program. <laughs> yeah, I'd be shocked if it was like on Netflix or anything. But if it is, uh, I don't have anything up to say whether it is or not as it's taping. But yeah, absolutely, go see Killer Joe. And honestly, find any of the films I recommended. The Mist, 1408, this, or uh, um, Buried. And then same with Nick. I mean, we already talked about how good Death Sentence was and um, – Obviously, Star Wars and Star um, Wars, a modern classic, and you kind of heard us talk about Greta. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> definitely watch Greta. Um, I'd be shocked if Greta wasn't. Um, I'm trying to Gre- think. Gre- I know Greta is out because I was at I was at the store the other day and actually saw the Blu-ray for it. Yeah, I'm just thinking what um I can't remember what studio released it, but Greta ought to be on a premium channel by now, like HBO or something. Whoever, yeah. whatever its studio, whatever studio has a deal with it. Um, but yeah. I mean, with that, I, that's our list. Uh, I had a blast making this, even though, yeah. I mean, I did just scroll through my DVD book, but um, I made my list in ten minutes. But like these, these, these movies were like, oh hell yeah, these got to be it. <laughs> right. I no, I had a lot of fun. Like the only thing I regret is that I didn't think of like, um, I mean, I said it at the top, but like, I wish I had more of like classic knowledge, like. Imagine Nick Cage, like, going back to, uh... uh, Virginia Woolf. (laughs) 
him and Virginia Woolf would have been great. <laughs> hey, get me another drink. <laughs> oh, she just says some. She just says stupid stuff sometimes. She drinks too much. <laughs> um, no, I was thinking like, uh, like I said, Mr. Smith goes to Washington, but like, uh, uh, maybe that other movie that he was in, where uh, James Stewart was in, when he's just like. <clears throat> You want the moon, Mary? I'll get you the moon. Oh yeah, I don't know. I don't know what movie that is, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that'd be funny. But yeah, I mean, outside of that though, I mean, I this was fun. I like it when we do lists like this. We don't think we don't have to like make a whole thought piece about like the news or anything. Like, yeah, <laughs> we're allowed to be creative and weird. Yeah, and scare people like what's going on in their brains. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, with that, uh, if you guys have any ideas for uh, things you want us to make a list about, uh, just shoot us an email, uh, BarneyPointsGuyToCinema at gmail.com, or we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that jazz. So uh, I, yeah, I mean, unless you have anything else to add, I think it's time for another break. Yeah. All right. We will be right back here in a minute to talk about the movie that we saw not in theaters. We stayed home and we Netflix and chilled. With Zach Galifianakis and his film, Between Two Ferns, the movie. We'll be right back. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Nick and I, this week, decided to just Netflix and chill. We stayed home and watched Between Two Ferns, the movie. Starring Zach Galifianakis and a whole plethora of, like, 20-plus cameos. The film is directed by Scott Ackerman, one of the co-creators of the internet show Sensation that this film is based upon, which was also co-created by Zach Galifianakis. And it was written by the two of them, Zach and Scott. So, I will open the floor to you, because off mic, you had a response that I was a little surprised at, um your take on the movie so uh let the people know your spoiler free hot take on it i thought it was nazi propaganda <laughs> <laughs> i'm kidding um it was okay um the the thing is i mean it was it was funny but at the same time i thought it did not flow very well um it, like the interview segments i i thought you know the interviews were funny and the interviews would be really funny. And then it would get to like the story and there would be funny things in it. Will Ferrell's all of Will Ferrell stuff. I actually found really funny. Uh, Will Ferrell's character in the movie. Um, I don't consider this a spoiler. Will Ferrell's character in the movie basically is what I imagined. The Gator persona from the other guys, the guy that, uh, when Will Ferrell was a pimp in that movie, his persona as the pimp that's what i thought would have happened if gator would have just like continued <laughs> into a more older i like the th- i like the thought um, of gator going on from being a pimp to founding funnier die like will ferrell i mean yeah. without the pimping part but like he still finds a way to found this website funnier die like <laughs> yeah um but it, yeah, like it'd go from really funny interview parts to like a majority of the story once it left an interview, it would be you know like moderately entertaining and moderately humorous. Um, 
it just it didn't flow. It felt really choppy. Um, and then there's a there's a big chunk between their second to last interview and their final interview, I think it was, where it just dies. It really dragged for me. Um, I thought it was an okay experience, like I said, but I mean, it's an 85 minute movie and there's a chunk of the movie where I really felt like 10 to 15 minutes of the movie. Um, I give it, you know, yeah, our, 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 uh, scale is kind of based off enjoyability. So, uh, you know, cookie, not enjoyable, completely terrible, worst thing ever. Uh, single brownie bad but you can at least kind of see the good in it and you had somewhat of a good time uh half pan okay time and it was it was okay uh full pan with no sprinkles like just a regular full pan uh pretty good movie uh it was missing a couple things and then full pan of sprinkles uh full pan with sprinkles is pretty much a perfect movie um i thought this movie was a solid half pan um the thing that's kind of sad, I thought the bloopers at the end of the movie during the credits were actually funnier than almost anything I saw in the movie. There was one joke that got me to laugh really hard, and I don't remember what it was during the movie, but um, everything else was kind of just like, <laughs> like that hard of a laugh. Um, nothing's really bad. Like, I, I can't pinpoint, like this guy's acting was bad or these effects were bad or I thought this was dumb or this felt unnecessary. It just kind of was like, it's okay. I I honestly kind of wish they would have given us the interviews as the web series just on YouTube. Just the 10, the 10 interviews they do. Like was like, oh, you know, if you just released them as the regular show, I, I think it would have been fine. Um, so... Yeah, I mean it's it's okay. It's not groundbreaking. It's not the funniest thing I've ever seen. Um, I can I can see why it was made, and I can I can see the good idea that went into it. It just didn't feel fully formed for the idea, other than the interviews. Yeah, no, I I I completely see and not quite agree, but. Um... I get exactly what you mean. Like that's the problem when it comes to trying to adapt something that was short form, or like uh, adapt. Uh, well, not or uh, like or 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 something that's not even a story. Like when you re- like thinking about like the Lego Movie. Yeah, that should have been a huge flop. I mean, you really got to figure out how to get it to be you know incredible for it to work. Well, that well that movie um, like yeah when you're basing it just off like a toy IP I mean yeah 9 out of 10 times the the Patrick stories just like trying to frame it around like the big money shots to like convince kids to play with the toys to like uh just, just purely from a marketing standpoint and Lego movie you're right should have been that but the the writers uh were smart beyond reason <laughs> and actually made a movie that actually like took heart into consideration and wanted to make this kind of meta level kind of uh yeah they they made it they made it they made a movie and then someone was like hey, hey what if we just made the characters legos oh, okay like it it's that this movie was it's i, I feel really bad like not because i can't complain about it really other than like that one chunk of time and it felt choppy and didn't flow very well but like 
I feel really weird not giving this a full pan, but it just was kind of like, man, your stuff that was funny was pretty funny, but your stuff that wasn't funny really like felt out of place and broke up the movie. I I I enjoyed it a little more than you did. I I will just outright say that I do give this a full pan. I I don't think it's quite as problematic. I mean, it's definitely not a good uh, kind of overarching story to like patch these interviews together. And like I was saying, like that's an inherent problem when it comes to trying to expand something that was short form, like trying to turn an SNL movie into something funny, like uh, or feature length. It's it's always uh, it just I don't know why. Like it's like when you try to make a trailer into a movie, like it's kind of miraculous that both much. What was the review that we did a couple weeks ago where I said it felt like a SNL comedy trailer and then they went, no, we're going to make a whole movie? Oh, um, I'd have to pull up the whole episode list. I can't remember offhand, but – well, I mean this one should definitely overtake that. Like, I mean especially since I can't remember what the title is. Um, but it's – what I was saying was like it's amazing that like Machete and Hobo with a Shotgun both ended up being as good as they are. Because they were both just based on trailers. Like, um, I didn't see the sequel to Machete, but like, you got to take the 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 inherent campiness of that and just like kind of expound upon that, and then, add, and what they did was like add uh, some political undertones to it um, to kind of spice up their story. This one kind of just makes an office ripoff, but puts it on the road. Like it, um, it and and really like when you get down to it. Um, what does it what makes it work for me aside from the interviews like obviously they haven't skipped a beat with these interviews this show's been on for 10 years it's been on funnierdie.com since 2008 Zach Alfanakis is still perfect at doing these reviews they're his they're hysterical yeah. they are awkward it's amazing that these guys the and girls that uh, are participating in it are as game as they are and just react in such a great way um yeah they're the, I, th- I think it's funny you mentioned The Office because I got that vibe very quickly oh, in the sure. movie. Oh, dude, it is such a – he's so acting like Michael Scott off camera, like quote unquote. But – well, not not only that, like it's just the, the filmmaking at the beginning. But the thing no, that's it's, funny it's, is it's there's easy. a certain point where it stops being a documentary-style filming and then they just kind of like wiggle it into the end again. Yeah, like it's – it's dude, it was – it's such an easy thing to copy. Like – after the office like blew up here, like you've seen so many shows like try to do like that fly on the wall style, like whether they're a documentary or not, but like everyone copies that handheld fly on the wall, like this is real, like to break out of that kind of sitcom like three camera, like you say a line, you say another setup line, and then here's the punchline. Like the whole joke is now making fun of the mundanity of life and that's what they used as the framework for this not surprisingly whatsoever like the fact that like we get some more insight as to like oh well this is the studio i shoot in i've been shooting here in north carolina for years and it's public access and it's great like okay we get it like it's okay like zach is the reason it's funny like i find zach alfanak is extremely funny i i was all on board with baskets when it was on fx uh rest in I think it uh, still well, is. Well, rest in peace. The last season was this I, year. 
Oh, I was gonna say, I thought I saw. An oh ad yeah, for the, it. last season was this year. It was phenomenal send off. Uh, Louis Anderson was great on it too. Give that man another Emmy, but um, and give Zach one too if you feel like it. Uh, he's. I don't have the power to give them out. <laughs> but uh, just. Otherwise, but yeah, I would he's dance. just. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, he's basically, like I said, he's just doing Michael Scott. And he's fine at it. I mean, it's nothing like that spectacular, but yeah, but he's dumber. He's he's more clumsy. And like what I was telling you off. No, I'm pretty sure he's well, dumber. yeah, he's uh, no, I wouldn't say dumber like Michael. I mean, if Michael was trying to do a talk show, he'd probably come off the same way or maybe like less unintentionally offensive and just more unintentionally clueless. Like, things that he would be saying would just be funny because, like, why didn't you do a minute of research on me? Why are you asking this? Where the way that Zach character is uh, asking questions is just, like, he doesn't realize he's being as ignorant or as, like, mean as he is. But well, but then at the, the same the time, he's just, saying, this... he's just thinking that he's, like, on par with, like, David Letterman as, like, one of the greatest interviewers ever. And, like, that charm in itself, like, on camera. That was my – that was my – that was – uh, that was my favorite interview. Uh, oh, the letter – oh, my god. The letter uh, – it's hard for me to pick a favorite one. By the way, we never said spoilers, so is that a no, spoiler? No, oh, my god. There, everybody had a – everybody's cameo was in this trailer, I think. Can, can, we, can we say spoilers just so we don't have right, to worry about it? I don't really know what you can spoil. Yeah, no, with. I'll um, I'll wrap it up. I like I said, I gave it a full pan. I think it's funny. Yes, the pat the story's patchwork, but if you're a Zach Galifianakis fan, like just him in the lead role, uh, kind of mushed over most of the problems I had with it. Um, that and the fact that this movie, yeah, it's 85 minutes long. It's, uh, I think it's uh, breezy, quick enough, and really funny enough. Like when it's funny, it really hits home. Yeah, like Nick said, the the part in the middle where the, the emotional drama and, like, the real conflict, like, oh, well, really, uh, I told you this was great and it's really not and I'm down on my luck now, but then, hey, things end up going okay. Like, I mean, it's super – It's the liar reveal story it's su- again. It's super predictable, reason. sure, but, I mean, the real selling point of this is do you like Zach Galifianakis or do you like Between Two Ferns? If you like him as an actor or the show itself, I think you're going to have a great time with it. Like I did. I mean, I wasn't even that big a fan of the show, and I found it funny enough to forgive. Yeah, it's – it's. Uh, we talk about expectations on the show. Don't expect anything remotely close to anything narratively compelling. Just enjoy Zach being an idiot with these interviewees. And Are you saying this is the short – comedic version of godzilla king of the monsters <laughs> don't expect a good story just go yeah, into it kind of except you're getting some great great comedy instead of some great action uh but yeah more or less i mean it's yeah you know i'll just reiterate it, it's okay there's there's nothing abundantly bad with it um but there's nothing that i saw that was abundantly good either um it was just it was okay i decently enjoyed my time um I don't know. I don't really know if there's anyone I would like. Be like, oh my gosh, you better make sure you see this. Like, I might be like, hey, like, you have an hour and a half you need to kill. Like, you know, oh no, out. totally. It's, this is this is no. not like uh, I would not say this is like an absolute like must see. Like, if I know somebody like Zach Alphanakis, like I will I will say must see for that. But I 
I I will say this. I'm glad it's a Netflix movie. Like I, I'm really glad we didn't have to go to the theater to see uh, it. Yeah, no, 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 no. This would not have gone well if they released this in theaters. This movie would not have made any money. This like it was born yeah. from the internet. It's here on the internet still. This was the perfect way to release this movie. Uh, yeah. All right. But yeah, spoilers. Although it's kind of hard to spoil, but yeah, well, spoilers. I mean, if yeah, I mean, sorry if you thought David Letterman was spoilers. a spoiler, but um, I I believe he was in the trailer, but um he was my favorite interview like i I actually uh i'm not a huge letterman fan uh when he was on tv i i never really liked him all that much uh and it's not that i like he would like his comedy just never really did anything for me um which is funny because when me and you went to the peyton manning statue and then his and then his part in this for some reason i thought he was like the best part (laughs) Uh, I thought it was oh, funny, was... but I, I like the way he's introduced. He's like, I'm sitting here with Santa Claus with an eating yeah. disorder. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. I was almost in tears when he was uh, asking him why he named his son. Uh... Yeah, and he's like, I named him after my dad, who's dead. How do you feel oh about that? Oh, my God. <laughs> tears. I was in tears laughing at that. Like, the banter between the two of them, like, especially in the bloopers, like – I can't imagine yeah. how long that interview had to have taken real life. Like just sitting there with David Letterman trying to insult him and he can just quip you just as fast back. Oh, well, the thing that's funny is uh, in the bloopers, when they start cracking up, Letterman doesn't even really say anything. He just like gives him a look with just his yeah. eyes. <laughs> uh, uh, um, another interview I re- I th- I've, I've been on record on here as saying I'm not a Brie Larson fan. I thought her interview was one of the other good ones. But the thing that's the best part of her interview actually is the bloopers where the, the ridiculous funny question, she absolutely loses it when he asks it to her. Oh, yeah. That had to have taken more than like mo- – that had to have taken multiple takes. The <laughs> So you don't like a – so you just uh, – this is a two-part question. I've heard you don't. Uh, I've heard you won't answer. Uh, you won't answer questions that you're not comfortable with. Why is that? And also, how old were you when you got your first period? <laughs> she just loses it when he asked that in the blue. Oh my god! That, I was still laughing just as hard, honestly. Like the way that she just like kind of like scoffed at him and just kind of was looking around, just like what is happening, like. <laughs> Did you notice her eyes in the blooper section, like right before he asked the question? She looks like uh, Chad Gase when he got in- introduced as the head coach of uh, whatever team he's coaching, where her eyes were just bugging out of her head. Oh, like Adam, oh Adam, like Adam huge, Gaze. Like a huge snort. You mean Adam cocaine. Gaze of the Jets? Yeah. Yeah, I you said Chad Gaze. <laughs> I've heard Chad Gaze. No, man. Adam. Oh, dude, yeah. If any sports fans are out there. Look at Adam Gaze's introduction uh, press conference. If you're a person, just in general, look up Adam Gaze's introduction to whatever team yeah, he's coaching. Yeah, Google this year. Adam Adam Gaze introduction press conference New York Jets, and it is. That man looks like he just suddenly had a serial killer awaken. He looks of like him. he realized he made a horrible mistake signing with that team. It is hysterical what his eyes are doing and yeah brie larson's eyes looked exactly the same like the looks like the eyes are like trying to be like all right this body's not worth it anymore just like trying to escape <laughs> what about uh what about paul rudd's my my favorite part of his interview actually isn't anything spoken it's 
it's just that when they put his title up there for Ant-Man, they spelled it Ant like the yeah. relative. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. I like the whole... But I, I, li- I liked his charity, though, where it was Bones for the Boneless. And they're like, he's talking to Zach and he's like, you know... To some people, you know, uh, you know, you're you're you don't need all these arm arm bones. Like you could you could donate this bone in your forearm right here. He goes, you know, for you, you that pinky that pinky bone, you don't really need that. But to some people, that's yeah. a shin. <laughs> that was I actually laughed harder at that when he was explaining the charity more than the interview. Yeah. That's before the yeah. interview, right? But then. But then right before and then, the and, inter- then, and he puts the paper right up next to his face. He's like, that sounds like a bullcrap charity, right? And he goes, why are you putting the paper up? I can oh, hear you. Oh, that wasn't the line that made me laugh as hard. Like, right when he was about to lift it up, he was just like, yeah, he uh, he wants to do this charity to, like, give kids boners or something. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That that made me laugh harder. That, like, those moments made me laugh harder than the whole interview. Like, I mean, the bloopers – the bloopers there was, with him were funny, too. There was one joke. I can't remember what it was, but I laughed really, like, really, really out hard. And then um, most of the movie, I just kind of chuckled. But I don't remember what the joke was, but, God, it was Was hysterical. it when, Was it when Chance the Rapper, um, his first interview, was just like, hey, man, I'm actually friends with Kanye. I don't appreciate that. No. But, oh, did you like my text, though, when I was watching it? I was like, dude, if Chance the ra- Rapper manages to pull off bib overalls coming back in style, I am going to be so happy. Dude, he he wore them in a movie. <laughs> I think that means that overalls are coming back. Overalls are sick. Isn't Osh, uh, who, who's the biggest overall company, do you think? Like Levi's or Oshkosh Bagosh? Oh, I haven't worn them since I was like five <laughs> fishing. I remember – I just – yeah. Oh man, I can't remember. I remember there always being a tag like in the middle of the chest. I remember wearing corduroy ones, and I thought that was the most uncomfortable. F- corduroy. I remember, yeah, dude, the most uncomfortable fabric ever invented by man that should just be collectively burnt in a giant landfill. It was. My dad has a. My dad, or he used to. He doesn't anymore. He used to have a suit, and the suit was oh, corduroy. Oh Jesus! Why? And. I don't remember, but I remember trying on the suit jacket one time, and oh my god, that it was the hottest suit <laughs> I, I ever it wore. Was. <laughs> Holy cow! I don't even think I was. I think I was just wearing a t-shirt. Like I think I just tried on the suit jacket, <laughs> and I think I was wearing a t-shirt. And I tried it on, and I was just like instantly Ugh. sweating. God, was it itchy too? No, it had a liner. Oh, okay. In it. No, I was. What I I remember wearing just like raw corduroy uh overalls once and i just thought it was the most uncomfortable piece of clothing i ever wore you trying to be like white trash no i I don't i I was super duper little it was like one of those things that like i mean traumatizing is kind of extreme for just fabric like hashtag first world problem but for some reason like one of my earliest like not even childhood like like borderline childhood slash infant memories is just hating life wearing these corduroy overalls. And I don't know why it sticks out in my mind so much, but um, we don't have to. Yeah, it's kind of weird that your body, <laughs> your brain's like, you know what? This was traumatizing. <laughs> well, I was, I hated it so much and I had nothing to hate when I was that little because I didn't have the weight of life on me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have anything to hate because you hadn't seen La Llorona yeah, yet. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't oh my god I hadn't seen so many terrible movies I hadn't seen Venom I hadn't seen so many things um no I'm just um I'm just scrolling through the list here again real quick with um some of the cameos that were in it um 
Oh my god, the the uh, John Cho. I want to call him out for a minute. Um, do you remember which cameo he was? No. He was the guy that was hitting on uh, the audio woman. Um, it was it wasn't Jason Schwartzman where she just like rejected him uh, outright. Or, or um, I'm trying to think. Uh, he's the Asian American actor that was like, hey. So uh, maybe after this interview, you want to go out sometime? And she's like, nah. And then it cuts to her interview saying uh, declining celebrity uh, celebrities asking me out is the greatest thing ever. And then it cuts from. I don't remember any Asian Americans. Y'all remember movie. John Cho? No. Oh. I, I mean, yeah, he wasn't. Because inter- I remember I remember that cut and her saying that line. I don't oh, remember Oh, no, the guy that. hitting on her right before she says she loves uh, saying no to celebrities, that was John Cho from. Uh... Oh, you didn't see Columbus yet, right? No. Oddly enough, the movie about our hometown. I have okay, not he's seen. a lead in that. Um, oh, Harold and Kimmore go to White right? Castle. Um, you saw that, right? Yeah, I've seen that. I, I didn't. I didn't. I don't remember him oh, being in the movie. Oh shoot. Okay. Well, yeah. But I was. There's explosions in Columbus, right? Uh, sure. That'll make you watch it, right? <laughs> people light. Dude, people screw light. Screw you. <laughs> people light cigarettes. Oh, it's earthy. Nick's not gonna like it. There's explosions in it. I gotta lie, so he people... sees it. People. You know what would happen if that if that happened though? I watched that movie, find out there's no explosions. I would call you and just cuss you out for like ten minutes. <laughs> I wasted an hour and fifty minutes. People were just smoking and talking about architecture, and it was. People were smoking in a movie about Columbus, Indiana. Oh, no dude, way. there's a ton of yeah. <laughs> there's a ton of smoking in that movie. You not sense my sarcasm? Right, yeah, I. It's Columbus. A lot of people right. smoke. Well, I, hashtag Midwest. Um. <laughs> Uh, one other cameo, though, to stay on, on point. Um, I don't want to bog too much on this, um, unless you have one. Um, I just wanted to talk about uh, Keanu Reeves. Uh, I love Keanu Reeves when he was just like, "I'm pre- I'm acting like I'm having a good time. How am yeah. I doing?" <laughs> I love his intro right at the beginning because, like, this is the second Netflix film that he's been in this year as just a surprise cameo. Uh, the other was uh, "Always Be My Maybe." Uh, you saw that gif, right, where uh, he's just walking into the club in slow motion and, like, some people were making, like, little viral clips of, like, uh, Keanu, Keanu walks into anything and they just literally have him walking into any song that you could think of and it works because it's him walking in slow motion. No, I have no idea what you're talking about and I spend a lot of time Okay, on I'm going to send you Keanu walks into anything when we're off mic just so you can enjoy that on top of... I love when he just walks into the studio and he just like puts his hands on the counter. He's just like, I'm here. I'm Keanu Reeves and uh, I'm here to do uh, two ferns. I just I don't know something about the way he just walked in. and He's all cheery and happy. I really like that. I liked at the end when Will Ferrell's like, not only did I get you your own show, but I'm going to get you I'm going to get you uh, something better than two. or he's like, you got your own show. And then Zach's like, well. Problem is, my two ferns died on the way over here, and he's like, I'm going to get you something better than two ferns. And then he's like, three ferns? And then Will Ferrell's like, more. And then he goes like, 47? He goes, no, it's four. (laughs) (laughs) That was funny. I like, I mean, if you want to talk about Will Ferrell for a second, I mean, Will Ferrell playing this exaggerated version of, like, himself, because he is technically president of Funny or Die, like, 
I kind of like that they decided to pull him in and like kind of make the whole joke about, uh, or just kind of make the show's existence that it's just Will Ferrell making fun of Zach, like just doing it at his expense, but telling him, oh, he's great. You're getting me all these clicks. People love you. And just making it just totally setting up like that. And not just letting him know that he's a terrible I, I, I interviewer. I just liked that we got a Will Ferrell movie where a majority of his time wasn't spent him screaming as a man-child. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I like Will Ferrell, but it's getting old. Yeah, you think so? Like, it's not funny that you're loud. He's, I mean, I think that's, I think that's kind of like... Maybe he's realizing that because really he hasn't really acted in that much lately. Like, he's really taken on a producer role. Like, uh... Maybe it's because Holmes and Watson was so terrible. Well, ooh, yeah, I, yeah, they kind of bet on the wrong horse of that script and director and entire existence. But, um, but no, he's, um, believe it or not, he <laughs> didn't the studio try selling it to Netflix and they're like, oh nah, yeah, fam. no, that's oh my god, I loved reading that. The fact that Netflix passed on that movie, that was just an immediate. <laughs> How bad's the movie? Even Netflix was like. Uh, hell no. That we're was not an doing immediate this. red flag for me, and just I immediately, or I also immediately put money on this is going to be the worst film of the year, guarantee it. And <laughs> there was a guy, there's a guy I used to work with. Uh, his name's Kyle. If you're listening, Kyle, what's up, dude? Hey, Kyle. Um, and I, I remember when Holmes and Watson was getting ready to come out. I thought it looked terrible, and he was talking. He was like, he was so hyped to go see it in the movie theater, and then, um. I was listening to the Pat McAfee show 2.0 at work one day, and there's a guy on there that used to be a state cop, and he had a review for the movie, and it started with, it started with him telling the story of the worst night he ever had on the force was like the first time he ever had to go to the family of a 16 year old kid who had died in a drunk driving accident. And tell them that their that their child had died, and he stayed there until to break the news and help get everything set up until the rest of the family was able to arrive and help and help oh my the God. parents. And he goes, "That was the worst. That was the worst experience of my life." And then I went and saw Holmes and Watson. <laughs> <laughs> that was how he started his review oh for that God. movie. So, <laughs> dude, it it is. I was crying with laughter at work, and so I got up and went to Kyle's cubicle, and I was like, "Hey, man, have you heard have you heard the Pat McAfee show uh, for this week or for today?" And he goes, "No." I was like, "You really should listen to it," because he was he was talking about going to Holmes and Watson like that night or the night after, and I was like, I, "I'm serious, dude. I think you might want to listen oh to it." Oh my god, that <laughs> is just savage. That is. The harshest movie review I've God, ever heard. God, I don't heard. think I've even been. Uh, was I that mean about La Llorona? Like, <laughs> my God. What you said about La Llorona sounds like a glowing review. Oh compared yeah, to that. La Llorona sounds like an Oscar winner compared to that. My God, man, that's rough. <laughs> but I remember when that came, I told him about it, and he's like, "No, I'm gonna go see it." I think he did end up seeing it, and he's like, "That was absolutely terrible." But I went and oh saw it. Oh my God. It. As I think exactly. I kind of want us to watch it for like a time machine film, like <laughs> or like if you can't. I mean, sure, yeah, it's it's a year old. I mean, we'll wait for it to actually be a year old, maybe. But oh, hey there. Sorry, that was my cats. 
That was like a slow motion meow. What was no, that? That was that was just my cats. They just don't like to agree sometimes. I don't know, Beth. Do you, Beth? Do you like Holmes and Watson? Did you watch it without me? That's okay, baby. Beth, Beth, shut up! You're That's ruining okay, the baby. tape. Beth. That's okay, baby. All right. So anyway, <laughs> back to topic. Um. Just to clarify, you're calling your cat yes, baby, I'm right? Yes, I'm calling your baby. She's Thank my God. little baby. Okay, you're calm now? Okay. Sorry, folks. I have two cats, and they don't like each other. Um, <laughs> uh, so anyway, I want to talk about uh, real quick, because, uh, I mean, he was part of the story. Will Ferrell was, but um, I want let's talk about um, John Legend being a part of the story. What did you think of... Uh, Zach hooking up with John Legend's wife just as a random plot. The only thing I really have to say about the John Legend thing is, does he only own one suit? I thought about that when you texted me that, and, like, I, I almost Googled it. Like, I only ever see him in that one color suit. Does he just own, like, 75 of the yeah, same suit? Yeah, that's suede kind of, or that's suede, right? Like, like suede, crushed, velvety. Like a purple, like, ve- well, maroon yeah, color. Yeah, that... I can't recall ever seeing him really that often outside of a suit that color. No, I guess that's like his signature kind of look. I guess maybe. That's distracting. <laughs> but I mean, no. What'd you think of that? Like, uh, I assume that was his wife. Like, I technically didn't verify it, but. I don't know. It, how did that? How did whatever. that? It's dr- it's dropped really quick. How did? Oh, by the way, did you um. Uh, not to cut you off, but I, I just remembered. Did you actually watch after the credits in the movie where they wrap up with the documentary? Oh my crew? God. Yeah. When the documentary crew is just like, yeah, my professor's going to love this. Wait, what? Get the yeah. fudge out. <laughs> that was, I said the F word earlier, but I decided not to say it. Right. Again. <laughs> this is like the best line. I love that. I love that way to punctuate like the very end of the movie. I thought that was a great fun. That, I thought that was a great final joke. Like, I don't know why I didn't predict that to happen to begin with like why on earth would a film crew like not in school actually film this guy that works at a public access tv station <laughs> i like the one person that's like i mean my parents are gonna see it yeah. too. <laughs> it's like this is for your film class and they're like yeah but i mean this like our class and our teachers are gonna see it my parents are gonna see it too i love the running joke of just uh him constantly like yelling at them just like uh when, like when he hooked up with john legend's wife he's just like wait you filmed that yeah you told us to film everything in my room yeah everything okay delete that okay yeah email me a copy, me a copy of, of that first. first and then delete the rest of them like <laughs> and then like later <laughs> on when like uh he's walking in the rain and he's just like stop it stop recording now or like uh when he makes them do what was it like the very introduction and it's just like all right, we're good. 75 takes is good. Yeah, no, I feel... There's or 20, 21. Was it 21? I, I thought it was in the 70s. Yeah, it was 21. Uh, but, no, okay. it was 21. Yeah, like 21 takes is good? Yeah, no, 21 takes is fine. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> so, like, so he's got like this David Fincher complex to him too, like trying to control the documentary. I thought that was pretty funny too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the back to the, kind of what the original question was. I mean, John Legend stuff was neat. I... I I thought it was funny. His interview made me incredibly uncomfortable the entire time. I was like, dude, that guy's got an an axe or something. I love or a hatchet. I love the interview. Like at first, like I don't know, I was a little worried with what it was going going for and then like 
obviously it kind of went the exact same way I thought it was going to, but kind of like the way Zach just like sells this kind of Michael 2.0 per se. I thought I love the way John just completely he sold me like I legitimately didn't think that John knew beforehand and then realized in the moment and was like, oh, he found he found I thought he knew the entire I didn't think, time. like I kind of bought that he didn't know the whole time. And I but then the fact that uh, everyone was just like, oh, you met her. And then I don't know, just I like I like that you look like you're trying to communicate something to me with your eyes. Yeah, I I mean, when when what is it? That's Whitney Cummings, right? From Brooklyn Nine Nine. Um, wait, what? Say that again. The the assistant girl that was uh, Whitney Cummings from Brooklyn Nine Nine. Zach's right? assistant. Yeah. Uh, no, that was. I'm gonna correct a lot of things with that. Hold on. Uh, that was uh, Lauren Lempkins. And she was on um, – she's been on a lot of things. Most recently, she was in uh, – oh, she's got a long resume, actually. Uh, okay, she's in a lot of things. Uh, one of those, though, is not Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and the assistant in Brooklyn Nine-Nine was not Whitney Cummings, but I don't have her name up in front of me. But, um, yeah, she's, she's just kind of a random comedy character actor, like – I could send uh, you her resume. She's been in just a ton of things. She's just kind of pops up here and there as random supporting roles. But no, she was not in Brooklyn Nine Nine nor Whitney Cummings. <laughs> but she was she was she was funny dumb. in this though. I really liked her. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to see any title that stands out, but I mean, whatever. I, I I'll get lost in this. Um, but I mean, uh, what was the original thing that you were trying to say though? I just like the line that she has where she's like, like, I feel like you're trying to communicate something to me with your eyes, but I don't know what it is. As he's trying to tell her, like, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, kind of jumping around timeline wise. Um, I I got two points, like one that I thought was really funny and the other one that I didn't think was funny. Like, I'll start with the not funny one. Like when they're out on the boat after they are basically homeless, like camping out. Um. Actually, this is uh, – I mean this is in the lull that you were talking about where like everybody's like down the dumps. Like it turns out they don't have any money and it turns out like – It's Yeah, as I say, it's the moment where the money yeah, runs out. Yeah, I could I, – I wasn't – I'm not really surprised like that kind of hurt your liking of the movie more than me. Like I fully expected like a complete downer moment because I mean every comedy does like bar- – well, that's fine. It just, man, it was yeah. slow for a, for a big chunk after I mean, that. I didn't think it was that slow, but I mean, I the moment with her and the trumpet, just like, I wanted to be a trumpeter, but I don't want to because it'll, I'll lose you. And then the punchline is, is that she just sucks at trumpet. Like, I called that, and it wasn't really that funny. But yeah. I did laugh really hard at the very beginning when um, – they're having the leaky pipe problem, which we got to talk. We get we we've spent this whole interview so far and not even breaking down the real crux of like why they're on the road to begin with. Um, I loved that when he's like, we got to have this soundproof right now. It's got to be so silent in here. Um, she decides to not try to get like soundproof padding for the walls like those foam pads. She decides to cock the windows and the doors like <laughs> that's pretty good. Well, the thing that's funny is when I was watching it, I was like, wow, that's really fast drying caulking. But honestly, my uh, 
my my real thought of was was like, wow, for someone who's clearly never had to do that, she did a pretty bang up job if she made it that watertight. Yeah, how many of those cans did she have to go through though? That was my question because that she was laying it on thick, like. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, let's go ahead and segue this into one more of the cameos and the real important one, because this is where the entire plot of the film hinges around Matthew McConaughey of the McConaissance. He is getting interviewed by Zach Alphanakis while a pipe bursts and floods the studio to which then floods the entire, uh, building and offices. And I, I what did you think of that setup? Like I th- I thought it was kind of funny. Like it was kind of pushing that limit of like kind of so over the top. Like it was kind of not diminishing returns. That's not the right word, but like it was so over the top compared to like everything else in the film. Like I mean I don't know. It was a little. It was like right on that edge of like not being funny because of like how ridiculous it was. But I think if it was any other person, like. Uh, that he was interviewing. I thought it was actually really funny at the at, like when they showed at the very beginning of the movie, and then when they cut back to it and they show him like swimming inside the studio, I was like, okay, it's not that funny. And then once they break the window and he's laying on the ground and he uh, slips and falls and starts crying about his ferns, I thought it was okay. Funny that again. part specifically was hysterical. That was another part that like, um, like that in the David Letterman interviews. Um, or any of the interviews, really. But um, let's say outside of the interviews, because they were the funniest part of the film, that was my favorite part, was, like, him crying and then him trying to stand up and he just slips and falls and then he's just crying even more. Like, that's what I was saying before in the, the, in the hot takes was that the way he does physical humor, like, I'm not really that big a fan of, like, fat guy or fat girl falls down, but... He does it in such a way that just feels so natural and actually accidental instead of like a punchline that it's hysterical and sad, like at the same time, like because uh, I mean, he slips and falls a lot like the way he was slipping and falling, like right when the pipe burst in the set itself, like it actually seemed like he was actually like clumsily, like not realizing where he was like water in his face and he falls and he gets up and he can't tell where he is and he just slips again, gets up and then, oh, crap, the pipes there. And then he just like. I don't know. It was very um, kind of uh, Three Stooges-esque in a good way. Like, I don't know anybody else that does, like, legitimate physical humor better than he does. As, you know, the whole McConaughey thing, like I said, I, I thought it was funny when it was first aired. But the the one part I thought was the funniest out of everything in there was the part where he's like, you know, I got other stuff I got to do. I'm out of here in 15 minutes. And he goes... Oh yeah, what are you gonna do? Drive around in a Lincoln shirtless? <laughs> well, well, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> like again, the interview was funny, but like the whole like that being the crux of it, like I that was that was the most where I was on the fence on. I was like, okay, well, I mean, sure, something to get the plot going, but like it was one of the it was one of the few points in the movie where like I wasn't quite as on board or like laughing that hard. Um, but still, I mean, it doesn't fully it doesn't take away from me still giving this a good recommendation but um i mean like you said i mean to more of an extent like it's just kind of it's just kind of patchy it's not really the whole point to have a great story with it it's it's there to be a skeleton and like the bare well no pun intended bare bones enough to get you from point from interview one interview two all the way to interview 10 and then um i mean really that's kind of uh 
I mean, I don't know. There's really not that much else to break down, guys. This movie's really short and really simple to talk about. Like, <laughs> this movie's really short and really simple, and there's not much in it. It's pretty. Surfacy. Yeah, I mean, I I'm, I'm kind of running out of things to really talk about. I mean, like, uh, we've so far we've gone like 40 minutes, and before we started, I was like, I don't think it's. I think it's gonna be a miracle if we make it to 20. Yeah, I mean, well, it's. I, I, but no, I mean, there's, I mean, there's not really that much else to really say without really repeating ourselves, I, at least to me. I, I, I will say this, but it was, it was this or abominable or whatever. Um, I'm glad we chose this because I feel like I probably wouldn't have felt any better about abominable, but I definitely could have felt worse. And the fact that I didn't have to pay money to feel that way. I, I'm glad. I'm just, <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, uh, it's it's refreshing to get out of the theater every once in a while. Yeah, getting, especially when we're going to movies that we know we're not gonna like, it can kind of get grindy. Yeah, like, I had, I mean, maybe I'll stream Abominable when it's streaming, but I was definitely not that excited to pros uh, the prospect of like trying to plan around my work schedule just for this. Like, I'm glad that like. I could just be home and stream this, and it ended up being pretty good. Like, maybe Abominable would have ended up being pretty good, but, like, relative to all the planning that went around it, like... Abominable is one of those movies where it's like, you know what, if I'm going to take the risk, I want to take the risk for free. Yeah, and, I mean, that's... Yeah, it's... I mean, maybe we'll end up talking about it later, which... Haha, running joke. No, we won't, because every time we say that, we end up not... um, Because every time we say that, we end up not caring. Yeah, I, it's no. I'm 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 in I'm in agreement with you. I'm glad we ended up watching this. Like maybe we missed out on a great film, but we'll. I mean, we'll never know. We ended up with this. I mean, it wasn't. It's it's far from being on a. Uh, well, you're worse than your list, right? I mean. Oh God, it's not gonna. Yeah, no, on there. and it, I mean, it's not gonna be on my best of the year list. But I mean, I definitely had a good time. I'm re- I'm really glad even, we saw this. Even if my list is so desperate. Even if my list is so desperate, I have to start putting half pants on there. This is going to be far from one of the half pants yeah. that's on there. And I highly doubt my list is. Oh yeah, be no, I. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's definitely not as funny as Good Boys for sure, at least for me. But um, no, this is you could do far far worse on Netflix. I I'm willing to bet that um, again, if you like Zach or the show especially, I mean, easy sell for you, but. Hey, take the chance. It's only 80 minutes long. Plus, I mean, it's Netflix. You can just stop it if you don't like it. So, uh, yeah. but I mean, yeah, with that, I mean, I, I'm sticking with my full pan and, uh, you're, you're doing half pan, right? Yep. Word. Half pan. Okay. Well, I mean, with that, I say, let's take a break and, uh, then we got to hop into the time machine and we're going to go to 2011 and we are going to close out our sports themed time machine month with the Brad Pitt film written by Aaron Sorkin. Moneyball. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, welcome back. Nick and I have just gotten out of the time machine and we have landed in 2011 and we have watched the Academy Award nominated film Moneyball. This was directed by Bennett Miller, who you may know from this film, or Foxcatcher. The film was written by famous writers Steve Zillian and Aaron Sorkin. The story was written by Stan uh, Chevron. 
Uh, sure, that's close enough. Chevron. Chevron. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, close enough. And it's based on the book by the amazing novelist Michael Lewis. The film stars Brad Pitt, Jonah Hill, Philip Seymour Hoffman, among other people, including little roles from Chris Pratt and a cameo by Robin Wright. And like I said, this film was nominated for six Academy Awards, including Best Film, Best Actor Brad Pitt, Best Supporting Actor Jonah Hill, and then a handful of technical awards, including Best Film Editing, Best Sound Mixing, and Best Adapted Screenplay for uh, Stephen, Stan, and Aaron. And giving this a reappraisal, I I hadn't seen this film since 2011 probably um i can't remember i can't remember personally having many uh rewatches uh of this film but that said rewatching it now for the show this movie still holds up this movie's pretty amazing i i'm very glad that we closed uh sports month out with this uh it's sports month Uh, this was, I mean, uh, going from Bull Durham to all the other films that we did, like, it seemed appropriate to close it out with another baseball film. Uh, given this is the last day of the MLB season of 2019, especially. It's known as Game 162, and it is absolutely nerve-wracking. Yeah. Especially when your team has been losing a bunch, and all they have to do is win one game, and they win the division, and if they don't... The team that's been super hot in the division wins the division. It's really nerve-wracking. Yeah. Also, also, no irony is lost on me that I'm wearing a baseball jersey while we discuss this movie. Well, that's not new. You wear a baseball jersey almost every time we record. Um, I pretty much just wear baseball jerseys. Yeah. <laughs> if not a hockey jersey. Um, yeah. But yeah, back to this film. Um, I, I will be very, very brief. Even I, I'll open the floor to you since you picked it, but my very brief summation of the film, uh, this movie's, ah, this movie's fantastic. Brad Pitt is amazing in the lead role of this film. Uh, Jonah Hill really made a star out of himself out of this film. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, he doesn't have the screen that long, but he steals every minute he's in it, uh, for the very, honestly, brief moments that he is in it. And it's kind of, it's honestly kind of distracting that they pick philip seymour hoffman for a role that small yeah like it's it really is kind of amazing because like i i in my mind i thought he had more screen time but he actually really doesn't have that much screen time but i mean he it makes me wonder if there's just a bunch of deleted scenes or alternate cuts of the movie that have a lot more to do with the manager Maybe. I feel like there's, yeah, there's a story there where he's just kind of often, uh, I mean, he's getting all the glory. Like, it's hinted at that he's getting all the glory when Brad Pitt's really the one uh, pulling all the strings. But, um, I mean, with that aside, I mean, there's a whole thing. Uh, I wanted to save it for the trivia, but um, maybe you knew this, too, because, I mean, you're way more into baseball than I am. But um, I actually did see in the trivia that uh, at this time, Brad Pitt's character was remarried and he is wearing a wedding ring throughout the film but in Mm. the film it's implied that he's just kind of separated and like unofficially like not together with his wife but in reality uh he actually had gotten remarried at this time but all the scenes i didn't know uh, that but i did i did see the wedding ring several times so i didn't know what was going on with it yeah uh, and apparently there was a lot of scenes that uh 
included his second wife that didn't make the final cut. But um, that's neither here nor there. I think this movie's, uh, this film is fantastic. I, I, this is a moment in sports history that absolutely deserved a film. Um, I forgot really that they went on that enormous winning streak that they, that they went on. I did remember that they got eliminated very, very fast, and there was all that scrutiny, at least from the newscasters. That is portrayed in the film about, oh, well, you do all the analytics and all that, but when you get down to it, you got to play baseball like baseball. And um, <laughs> But he still got that awesome offer, and, I mean, uh, we can get more into the aftermath later, but uh, just, again – Really, Brad Pitt carries this film on his shoulders, and he delivers every single line from uh, Stephen and uh, Aaron just so so seamlessly. Like, he'd been a part of Aaron Sorkin's kind of canon before, and uh, really, I it's, it's a fascinating film in itself just because it's all – behind the scenes it's all it's almost all behind desks phone calls conferences just sitting at a table talking to people like it's really really hard to make a table conversation interesting and Bennett Miller as the director pulled it off uh Jonah Hill like I said is incredible Brad Pitt is great I just uh I, man I I'm really glad that you had us rewatch this film I it's it's really just it's on the actors as much as anything to deliver as great a script as it was. And again, Aaron and Steve did a great job recapping this specific year in the Oakland A's and just really making the emphasis about how important this was in sports history, not just baseball, but just like uh, how big it was for analytics to really make its way into sports. Cause I mean, I mean, I don't know how big it is in basketball, but in football, I mean, that's what Cleveland is doing and other teams are taking it at least into consideration, but uh, well, first, it all it all narrows that, it all narrows down to what Oakland did. And uh, the thing that's yeah. funny is, you know, everyone talks about how the analytics boom happened. It happened in the NFL pretty early on. People just didn't realize it. Um, whenever the combine happened, that's when analytics infiltrated the NFL because you're taking numerical uh, data points and basing. Uh, decisions off of that and not just stats of players was that um, around the same time that indy got the combine and like made that contract to have the combine every year i i don't know I, i'm one of the few football people that i don't really care about college um so when it comes to college football and then the combine i mean yeah, I kind of pay attention, but frankly, I don't really care much about them until they're drafted, and then it's like, all right, now you're on my team. Um, right. But football, like that to me was kind of the start of analytics, and they started doing it, and then it plateaued again. And then uh, out of sheer de- – like sh- just literal, literal sheer desperation – Oakland start Oakland had apparently started doing this, but it exploded in 2002 in terms of like the depths that they started taking it. Yeah. Um, and I'll talk about it more after you kind of finish your thoughts. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I, I, it, I, I, it, it, it start, it kind of started in football, exploded with baseball, and then, uh, I mean, it, it it's ridiculous the analytics that happen in sports now. 
Uh, yeah. And it really got its, like, kind of explosion with the Oakland A's. Yeah, I mean, it kind of has a little bit of, like, a Messiah factor in terms of, like, it putting up Brad Pitt's character, um, the real the, uh, the real person, as a... Uh, Billy Bean. A, what was his name? Billy Bean. Yeah, Billy Bean. It kind of, uh, like I said, Messiah factors. Billy Bean is, like, the godfather of analytics. Um, but, I mean, obviously, like you said, you can dive deeper into it and... Uh, it's. I like that the film found a great way to, uh, to sew in, really like what was driving him, like the fact that like he went into the majors and just kind of washed out more or less, uh, went around a lot, just kind of was teetering here and there as like a player that could make an impact but didn't, and then just, um, that honestly that really powerful moment where that scene, that scene though when that scout from the Mets is scouting him. <laughs> He's swinging in the batting cage. He's like, he's going in the first round. I was like, he's getting out on his front foot too much <laughs> in his swing. I was like, he needs to stay back a little bit more. Like, it's just batting practice. He's too, he's he's out in front a little too much. Okay, but see, but people like me that don't know baseball remotely close as you do are just going to see somebody in the batter box and just trust that the person's just like, oh, oh my God, he's going in the first round. He's going to be a Hall of Famer, like – Obviously, like Bennett, I mean, I I don't know if Bennett Miller knows baseball that much, but um, that's all the, that's all the the glitz and glamour of of filmmaking. Like we just you talk down to the commonest commonest denominator, and but yeah, I, aside from that, um, I really like that it really found a way to make a personal drama out of this, along with also telling the the bigger story. Like there is a story for Chris Pratt's character. Uh, there is a story that Jonah Hill goes through. Um, it's not quite an ensemble film. I'm not saying that, but Aaron and Steven found a way to flesh out how all these pieces, like all played a role is specifically how the season played out centered around Brad Pitt. Like, obviously he's very much the lead, but you get to under you get to have these moments where all these other characters get to have these moments to shine. It's, it's not strictly about him, uh, Brad Pitt. And um, it really just coalesces all together into just a really, really awesome sports film. I mean, I, I it's kind of I can't say it more plain and simple than that. I it's very easy to go into this film like it's a film about analytics. Like it's not like draft day where you're only going to appreciate it really if you're like a real hardcore NFL fan. This film is exceptionally uh it, it's it's, it's very, very much a, just a struggle drama about a guy doing everything he can to to improve what he's working his his life's work has been yeah and then also if he doesn't he's probably gonna get fired yeah it's all of, it's really like at its core it understands the emotional stakes it's his drive it's his passion he hates losing more than he loves winning and you get that through all his actions through every decision he makes especially in every heartbreaking cut or demotion. Every one of those moments, by the way, was actually very powerful. Like, whenever, like, um, I'm trying to think of the guy that got demoted once they did that big trade about halfway into the film. Uh, I think it was a cat. I don't remember his name, but I think he was a catcher because he was putting on double knee braces. Yeah, he was putting on the knee braces, and all he had to say was just, you got to stop getting dressed. But, yeah. but, but, but why? You, we can't have 26 men on the roster. Now. And he knew immediately that he wasn't 
he knew immediately he was going to be demoted and just well no he he says trade and then billy shakes his head right oh okay right, you'd, right. you'd rather you'd rather get traded than demoted yeah because minor leagues are really rough even even in the modern era right minor leagues are really rough especially or even if you're getting demoted to triple a they can be pretty tough yeah um i mean also you still get that um you still get the family life too like when he's taking his daughter uh to buy a guitar and the way that uh i mean that scene alone is really great to watch and then the way it ties it at the very end of the film when he just starts crying in his truck listening to his daughter sing like um dude the scene the scene with his daughter that is one of the most strange and i th- i think had to be ad-libbed because i i don't think this would have been written in a script from the year 2002 is when he's like she goes are you nervous he goes no are you nervous and she goes no and he goes well you should be you're getting on a plane those crash all the time it's like i don't think anyone in 2002 would be making that joke i i i'm not inclined to believe that aaron sorkin films have much ad-libbing and i don't i mean i don't know i i don't know that much about Benny if Miller, not but... too close to 9-11 bro well okay that that is a fair point but I mean, this was filmed ten years later. Well, nine years yeah. later, released. I, that's 10 what years I'm getting later. at. Is I think that line had to be ad-libbed ah. because, really, if you think about it, not many plane crash jokes were being made in 2002. Probably not. But um, no, I'll I'll yield the floor here. I know you picked this film, and I I honestly am genuinely fascinated with your. We've I mean we've talked about it before off mic, but um, football's the sport that Dan and I bonded over, and then uh baseball kind of and then we both kind of branched our own way when it came to hockey and and nba yeah like i mean this is this is your wheelhouse like we mentioned when we talked about fielded dreams with this being way more relevant to like our actual lifetimes um i i just i want to ask a question in a little bit but uh Give me your hot take on this film. What's it like reappraising it now? And I mean, is it different than when you watched it back the first time? Like, is this still uh, one of your favorite baseball films? What do you think? Yeah, it it definitely is one of my favorite baseball films. Um, it it actually has not been that long since I watched it. Um, when I was in college, uh, I don't remember how many movies it was. It was somewhere around like six six to ten movies i would kind of just rotate and i would put them on and either like do homework or study or kind of do chores but like i've said before i don't like quiet so i would just put them on and then do stuff Moneyball was one of them because uh, i liked it so much the First time I, I I wanted to see this. It came out when we were going through like uh, first semester of college, uh, freshman year, and a friend of ours, a, a mutual friend of me and yours, who will remain nameless, um, they texted me and they're like, "Hey, I like I'm not even a baseball fan. You need to go see this movie." And I was in college. I was like, or I was at ISU, and I was like, ah, if I get the chance to, I'll go see it. I want to, but I, I you know, ISU wasn't anywhere near a movie theater. ISU's not anywhere near anything. Um, <laughs> and so the first time I saw it actually was twenty uh, in two thousand and twelve around like spring break. I was at my dad's apartment in Lafayette before we got our house, 
and he rented it. And so we were watching it, um, about four or no, four to five months after the Cardinals won the 2011 world series. So I was in super baseball mode then, uh, for obvious reasons, but <laughs> as, as, I, as opposed to now, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> it's the best sport ever. Um, it's it's easy to get romantic about baseball. I love that quote. Um, <laughs> but I I love this movie. Um, I love this movie. I don't like the over analytics that have infiltrated sports, especially baseball. But I like this movie. Um, I Oakland is a team that has always been interesting. Um, in in baseball, I think the I I might have said before, but the number two team for me, like I'm not a huge raging fan. I just kind of pull for them. Like Josh Hamilton played for them, and the Ranger and uh, Nolan Ryan played for them. The Rangers are like my number two team, kind of. I'm not a huge raging fan, but I I do pull for them to do good, and they've had players I liked. Um, but the uh, another team that I I always just like I always want them to do good just because they've always interested me because Mark McGuire started there was the Oakland A's I really don't care <laughs> uh, about them at all but I'm like I'm just one of those guys where I'm like they should do good because they're such a small market team and they mean a lot to their city and they have like no financial backing um, yeah that was something I didn't realize was quite as big in baseball like i mean they really like make an emphasis of it in the movie but like it got me thinking about like other sports as well like how much of a factor that weighs into it like because i mean one i saw i saw something i think it was a, a 30 for 30 short documentary was about the payroll of certain teams and it was it was something about like a rod's contract and they showed it there is a huge drop off in baseball like the New York teams, a lot of the East Coast teams, a couple of the West Coast teams, and the Cardinals are like the big teams. And then everyone else drops off in terms of being a small market team. Like Kansas City, Minnesota, um, both Florida teams, uh, Baltimore to an extent. Oh, I can, um, I, I, I can personally attest to Tampa. Like, I mean, I, again, I've never dude, been there before, fu- but funny, funny I, story. When we went to, we actually went to two games in Tampa the year they won. They went to the World Series, right? In the, you went to games in the Tropicana Stadium. Yeah, in two thousand nine. Okay. The year they went to the World Series, we get to our hotel in Tampa and we ask how hard it is to get tickets. And the guy that lives in Tampa, for like. I was like, hey, we were like, hey, how hard is it to get Tampa Bay Ray tickets? He goes, what are those? And I was like, your professional baseball team? And he goes, there's a professional baseball team around here? We're like, yeah, like 10 minutes up the road. Well, and he goes, oh, <laughs> I didn't know that. I was like, dude, they're in first place in their division, and they got a real shot at going to the World Series. He's like, oh, I didn't know they were here. And we were like, how long have you lived here? Like 10 years. Well, that explains why their stadium looks like an even more dilapidated version of the RCA Dome. Like, yeah, dude, It's bad. It's it is the worst stadium I've ever seen a game in. Like, they have they have rules for what ring of uh uh like 
scaffolding near the roof. If it hits this one ring, it's an out. If it hits this other ring, it's a double. If it hits this ring, it's a home run. I'm not kidding. Ugh, my God. It's ridiculous the crap they have at that stadium. Oh no! Like I've been like I've been to Marlin Park, and then only seen pictures of Tropicana Stadium. But I mean, you don't even have to go to both stadiums to just see how clearly yeah. uh, different the market is between Miami yeah. and uh, Tampa. But ba- uh, baseball, I would say baseball is the sport where, other than maybe hockey, the small market like ness really hits teams well yeah i mean it's clearly not that different i mean again like my main wheelhouse with the nfl like even the Chargers stadium uh it's not the staples center anymore but um even playing there in the soccer stadium looks pretty remarkable compared to well not to completely dump on tampa the whole episode but there well you know oakland the oakland A's play in the same stadium as the raiders currently or yeah as the raiders yeah. yeah Which is one thing I thought was funny throughout the movie is that at no point do you ever see Oakland Raider personnel at the same time. You see, it's based. It's based. A lot of it is based around like uh, the off season, and I was like, that off season would be happening during almost the entire football season. Yeah, you see some Oakland Raiders stuff here and there, like plastered on the walls. Like I remember seeing a a banner that said "Committed to Excellence," but yeah, um, but yeah, no, the um. I got. I'll, I'll let you finish your thoughts, but um, there's one other bit of trivia that's actually kind of funny about um, baseball stadiums used in the film. But uh, but no, I mean I'll, uh, I'll let you finish your thoughts. Um, but I'm a huge fan of this movie. Um, I give it a full pan with sprinkles. Um, like I said, I I love the movie. The only complaint I really have is not even the movie's fault. Um, I I'm not a huge fan of like super analytics in sports like. Baseball, the big thing back then for batters was um, your batting average, your amount of home runs, and your RBIs, and some people cared about slugging percentage. And then pitching was like wins, ERA, and strikeouts, strikeouts and walks. And now, like, the big thing in baseball for people is uh, batter's launch angle. And and their average hit speed. That's what people are really concerned with in baseball. Like, dude, this is getting ridiculous. Just get them on, get them over, get them in, win. Yeah. So the way I learned baseball is you get them on, you get them, you get them over a couple bases, you get them in, you get them in as a run. Um, as long as we get you on the base, we win. I don't yeah. care about, I don't care about stealing. If they if they mess up, you've let them continue to mess up because yeah. they're giving you the out. <laughs> and the other thing, too, the thing that really stinks for Oakland, they had a really small window to capitalize on on getting this figured out because the moment that they started making multiple multiple uh, post seasons without spending a lot of money, the teams that were spending a lot of money were like, hey, how do we actually get more out of this out of the money we're spending? Um and they got copied fast. Was there um, a was there a whole discipleship, uh, kind of like uh, Sean McVay out of the Los Angeles Rams? This this was bef- this took place before I really got into baseball. Um, I will say, like the the when I really noticed it take hold was when it kind of happened to the Cardinals. 
So St. Louis, uh, we've talked in here before. St. Louis went to the World Series in 04, went to the National League Championship Series uh, in 05, won in 06. And the GM, and they also, I think they went to the NLCS like one or two times before, had had a couple playoff runs through with their GM, Walt Jockety. Um, so they won, they won it all in 2006. The team was had two straight losing seasons, 08 and 09, or I'm sorry, 07 and 08. I don't remember what year. I think it was 08. Walt Jockety got fired midway through the season. Like St. Louis was that like, and it wasn't even bad. Like I think they were, I think they were on pace to win like uh, mid to high 70s, which in baseball, 81 games is 500. Yeah. So you're not that far off from 500, and the team was like, that's it, you're out. And then they brought in the current GM. Uh, well, he's now president of baseball operations, and he's like, oh, this guy's GM, but really he's still the GM. Um, uh, John Moseliak, dude is massive on over analytics and. Like, that's when I noticed it, where they're like, you know, we're going to try and get guys for cheap and figure out how to maximize them, rather than just, like, we're going to pay for, like, proven performance. Um, so, I don't know about, like, discipleship, because that was, it was before, kind of, when I really got into it. But it got embraced, and teams started hiring guys that were doing this. Like, hey... Here's how here's how we evaluate and value players now, and frankly, this is how we would do contracts. And if we do that, we think we can we can get this amount of wins and get to the postseason. Right, because every sport's a a copycat league. Whoever's on top, yeah. you guys copy them. So yeah, I mean it makes sense. But yeah, but yeah just to say, uh, this movie's full pan with sprinkles for me. Love this movie, and I'm really glad it's our first movie to break the rule of now we can review however old the movie is. Yeah, I mean, like you said last week, it was our worst-kept secret. We, we, we've been dabbling with this for a while, even though I was the only one that was really adhering to it. Like, um, But uh, no, I, I completely agree. Is a This film deserves sprinkles. You absolutely need to go see it. It is on Stars. Uh, otherwise, you just gotta rent it or go buy it. But I, I, I say go buy it. This is definitely, um, if if I'm thinking about like all the sports films that we watched, uh, over the past month, uh, oh man, I don't know. I'm trying to think if I. Would... I know it's above any given Sunday for me. Oh yeah, it's, it's I, better. I really than that can't film. bring myself to put it over Rocky. I like it better than Bull Durham. Oh, this is better than Bull Durham for sure. Because I've I've seen Bull Durham done a little bit better. You've seen other movies where? <laughs> well, no, 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 <laughs> like baseball, ragtag team, rallying, and also it's kind of comedic. I, I've seen it done better. It, Major League did it better, in my opinion. Did that? Um, did that film then, also have a sex crazed uh, lead actress? <laughs> uh, no, but it had Charlie Sheen. Okay, that's um, close enough. <laughs> and then Hoosier, Hoosiers are like the least. This one might be my second favorite of the month because I just – I can't bring myself to put it over Rocky. Yeah, no, I, I'm i going to mirror that. Rocky is definitely the best one still. And and, it, and it's it, – honestly, it's really close to beating Rocky out. Okay, I'll, I'm going to put a little bit bigger of a gap. I think Rocky's the best one that we've seen. And this is definitely up there, though. Like, it's a very well-deserved uh, second place. And um, 
like I was saying, it's just at least from my perspective, like the fact that the film does such a great job at being so accessible for just me, just a casual like I've gone to baseball games. I keep up I uh, just keep up with the headlines and I mean I don't really like go out of my way outside of that. The fact that uh, the film does tell this greatest story and like really shows um, just on the emotional level, just the drive to like, hey, I know this is going to work. This is going to get us wins. And you go through all the – and on a believable level, like it's not – nothing is ever staged in a way that's just like – coming off so cliched like everything feels just so naturalistic everybody i I think the most natural line of the movie is when philip seymour hoffman he's like why are you made he goes why are you managing the team this way philip seymour hoffman goes i'm managing the team in a way that i can explain in interviews this upcoming winter oh i felt awful for his character like the very very first scene of the film is just or for him is when he just approaches brad pitt and it was just like so i'm in a contract year and he's like, I understand. I get it. We just got to prioritize these other things. You just got to write this contract here. And throughout the film, every other time that he sees Philip Seymour Hoffman, he's just telling him he traded this guy. We cut this guy. We demoted this guy. And he's like uh, – when he's just – it's just like how you're out of your depth. Why are you doing this to our I, roster? I, I like um... – I just, I just felt for him. But at the same time, he ends up getting all the praise, and I mean, I, I don't know how it ends up working out for him in the long run, but... Um. Well, the other thing, too, I, I think Philip Seymour Hoffman was standoffish, because that's the one thing that this this movie really nails. At the time, you know, I grew up in the steroid era, and I grew up at, like, the explosion of the steroid era. <laughs> um, just, just that phrase alone is why I'm laughing. Sorry. <laughs> what? I grew up at, in the explosion of the steroid era? Yeah, just, I, just the way you phrase that made me laugh. Yeah. Um, you may make it sound so, like Indiana's just covered in steroids. <laughs> but um, it, it baseball at the time, you know, was was in a very old school state of mind, uh, very archaic um, statistic statistical analysis was used to evaluate players. Um, a lot of it, a lot of it would be circumstantial, like RBIs. Yeah. Okay. RBIs are circumstantial because you have to depend on someone in front of you getting on. Like, for for home runs, really. You can bloat your RBI total if you hit home runs and there's always, like, a bunch of people on base. Steroid era, it was basically just people got to get on and then we're going to get, you know, Mark McGuire, who's... Uh, got a bottle of andro in his locker and he's not even hiding it um we can get him to hit a ball 500 feet and we scored and he gets four rbis like that's cool and every that's cool but if he's on a team that doesn't get on base and he's hitting a bunch of home runs his rbi total can drop by 30 to 40 in a year if there's no one in front of him at the time so it's it's a it was a very old way of thinking it was just his numbers are higher his numbers are higher but you didn't think about what was behind the numbers and 
all the meetings of uh, where he has where he's meeting his, with his scouts, especially early in the movie, that's how baseball used to be talked. I mean, maybe not the the girlfriend thing, although like I was like, yeah, I'm positive people talked about that. Um, it was very you don't under like you're trying to replace one specific player's numbers and you're trying to replace his RBIs, and you're trying to replace his home runs, and you're trying to replace this, and it's like, if we can replace his on-base percentage and we can figure this out, we can get people. Like, the the scene where they're talking to all the players about like how to fix everything, and they're finally getting them to buy in. The scene with Chris Pratt where he goes, I could take a couple strikes, and they're talking about like be patient, make the pitcher work, drive his pitch count up. Uh, pitch count. I, I can remember watching baseball games where the pitch count was not discussed ever, and now they have it where there's a strike zone always shown in like the corner of the TV, and it tells you the number of pitches that a guy's thrown the entire game from the first inning on. Uh, pitch like that important of a statistic was completely ignored when I started watching baseball. Um, Interesting. Like, no, Nolan Ryan, the arguably the greatest pitcher of all time, but but uh, the greatest pitcher of the modern era. Um, he said, when like, when he would coach the... When he was doing a bunch of stuff with the Rangers, they would ask, like, how come you don't care about pitch counts? He's like, I didn't care about it when I played. You just go out there and you throw and, until you don't... Until you're too tired to throw anymore. Um, that's a very old school way of approaching it. Um, yeah. So the scene, like, I found it very believable when the scout, uh, the head scout Grady, uh, pulled him aside and he's like, "You're listening to the wrong guy." Um, I believed it because, like, at the time, baseball was kind of stupid. <laughs> um, <laughs> you oh, you didn't want to overanalyze anything. You just took the numbers at face value. And just because a guy's number was higher in certain categories meant he was better. No, maybe it meant he was just able to get hits at a at a more convenient time or was around a team that helped him better. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the discussion of baseball is how it used to be how it used to be discussed. And it was kind of funny because it's not discussed that way anymore. Now it's about like, oh, his whip is this, but his uh, his uh, uh, base on balls is this, his strike his strike rate is this, but his average amounts of pitches per inning is this. It's like, oh my god, do you remember when it used just to be used to be like, hey, it's big, hey, swing, bat, hit ball, good. Like, you remember when it was simple? Yeah, you remember when it was just the guy throws it, you hit it, you get to the base, and that's all you do. Yeah. Or what was it in Bull Durham? You hit it, you catch it, you, you, you hit throw it, it. You throw it, you catch it, you hit it. Exactly. And sometimes you run. Yeah. It's def- <laughs> It's kind of fascinating now thinking about it like that. Like how, I mean, the times have changed and we kind of coincidentally timed it film-wise with going from that to this. Um, yeah. Did you notice that... Um, the assistant GM that uh, Jonah Hill was playing, uh, that wasn't his real name? Mm-hmm. Wait, was that yes or... Yeah, I watched I watched a uh, behind-the-scenes thing on my Blu-ray yesterday. It was like Paul or something. 
I actually don't have, um, trying to pull the name up here real quick, um, just scrolling through trivia, but yeah, I thought that was actually kind of interesting that, um, oh yeah, here it is, uh, Bennett Miller told a test screening audience that A's assistant, uh, GM Paul, uh, DePodesta did not wish to have his real name in the film, but was very generously helpful during its making, uh, but technically the filmmakers had no obligation to change his name they did it out of respect just because he was so helpful along with uh yeah. the actual production of the film so yeah i mean it doesn't really take away from anything i just uh i kept imagining like being in jonah hill's shoes just because like we're only a little older than he was like i remember brad pitt saying that like um not in the same lines but like in one scene he asked him how old he is and he's 25 and then near the end of the film like uh just the fact that they just went through this whole season and he was like, you're a good egg. I'll call you later. And the fact that like somebody at that age being an assistant GM, like yeah. I can't imagine what that pressure must have felt like. And the fact that like he was really like a numbers guy. Like, I mean, Brad Pitt was too, but like, hey, what's the numbers on this guy? Hey. Uh, who should we trade from this guy? Like, being the point man for all these negotiations, really, like, if Brad Pitt ever hit a wall and just – he what if, he had what an about answer. What about the scene where he's, like, listing all the numbers for the guys' statistics and he goes, average it out and divide it by – or add it together and divide it by three, you get – Yeah. am I supposed to speak? <laughs> yep, I'm going to point to you. I want you to speak. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that scene. They have very good chemistry between the two of them in the movie. Oh, I, exactly. Like what I was saying before, like this was such a star making role for him. Like, I mean, yeah, super bad got him on the map and like, yeah, he was, uh, he this was genuinely showed acting ability though. Oh yeah. In terms of like outright acting ability, this was such a great role for him and I, he deserved his Oscar nomination and yeah. it's kind of not surprising really like in hindsight that like out of all those guys, like thinking about it like you should have bet on jonah hill out of the mclovin michael sarah and him who was going to get the oscar nomination first he's the only one two at this point he's got multiple now um yeah i mean i can't remember offhand what the other one is offhand but but no uh, (laughs) if i can jump into one more thing of trivia real quick um it says here that because of um budgetary reasons they actually went to the Dodgers stadium and dressed it up in as eight different stadiums. Which honestly That's not surprising. Honestly to me that's kind of hilarious that like it seemed I mean there wasn't that many like Yeah, most most of them are actually when Billy they're chronicling Billy Bean like the player. Yeah, the most like obvious aspect. shots of uh stadiums like as backdrops. Yeah, we're really yeah. in Billy – like you were saying, Billy in the flashbacks. Like I love that honestly most of the time like for the montages of just like a, when they were going on that 20-game win streak especially like it would do these amazing kind of uh, shots where everything is blacked out in the background and it's just like two spotlights on uh, where the batter is and where the pitcher is. And it's all in slow motion and it's all focused in – on just that moment with the actual audio or presumably actual audio of radio yeah. broadcasts 
uh, talking about like, oh, they're going to 15. Whoa, where are we? I can't believe we're here right now. We're at 16 games. Oh, and they're going for the record at 19. Like the thing, I the love thing that's that. craziest that about that too is 20 games is one eighth of the season. Yeah. Like, what's I mean, what's the total of a season again? Total total regular season games is 162. Okay. So yeah, so that, that they, sounds. They like, yeah. won. They won 20 straight games. They won one eighth of the season just in a row. Over what span of time is that? Like, does that encapsulate a whole month, or is that like a month and a half? No, b- baseball is pretty much every day. Um, a lot of times you only get like three days off a month. Okay, so that basically uh, was an entire month of dominance, more or less. Yeah, it it's one of those ones too where when it ended, I think they actually went on another like five game winning streak too, or something like that. Yeah, like they were just on fire. It's I I that divi- that division back then was good too because Seattle won a like a hundred and thirteen games one one year. I think it was either. It was either 02 or 01, maybe 03 or 2000. Like that, that division just produced a hundred game winners all the time. It was ridiculous. Um, oh my speaking God. of trivia, there is a lot of connections this to the is... St. Louis Cardinals in this movie. Uh, I was again. I was gonna say again. I noticed, that's my favorite the... There are a lot of connections to the St. Louis Cardinals in this movie. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I noticed it's just in the trivia itself, like just in general, like one note I have is um, all but one of the scouts in the movie actually played in the MLB and it yeah. lists out like all the specifics, like who they were. But um, apparently, I mean, they're obviously the at least people that had parts of the Who's MLB, Fabio? like they did a really good job of having actual like people that knew baseball. Yeah. Huh? I said, who's Fabio? Right. Uh, so, oh. <laughs> uh, but no. I. What I. That. What do you. What did you notice Cardinals wise? Like I mean, you. I, what did you see? So the there's a bunch of connections to the Cardinals. Um, the one of the bigger ones is the scene where they have a, an announcer talking about Billy Bean. Like a lot of you can draft them, but you can't go inside their heads. That's Tim McCarver. He used uh, he used to broadcast games nationally, uh, mm-hmm. but before that, he was a catcher for the St. Louis Cardinals, and now he's uh, an announcer for the Cardinals uh, for the TV broadcasts. Um, he is, do you remember the Family Guy joke where uh, they go, "He's as bad as Tim McCarver's announcing," and they go. He, as good as they were in the first half, that's as bad as they have been now. Um, that's the guy they're talking about that was talking. Um, oh, okay. I kind of remember that joke. I've, um, yeah. I, I ought to Google that clip, but I kind of vaguely remember that. When, when they're taking down the banners outside the stadium and they talk about the big three pieces that left being Damon, Giambi, and Isringhausen, Isringhausen wound up in St. Louis, and I have a signed 8x10 of him. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, yeah. So that guy wound up being a Cardinal. Right. Um, when they start the computer software, uh, where they have like that thing where it's like a guy's profile and it's got his picture, 
and it just starts flying through like a million of them. Mm-hmm. The the second or third guy that they show when it because it starts off going slow, like the second or third guy in that is Albert Pujols, who's like one of the greatest Cardinals of all time, like top two best Cardinals ever. Oh yeah, um, no, I, I even I know who Pujols is. Uh, they mentioned someone named Mabry multiple times in the movie. Uh, the Mabry that they're talking about is John Mabry, who used to play for the Cardinals and wound up being their hitting coach, and is a, a large reason that I uh, I didn't I don't like modern over over analytics of stuff. Like he would preach work the count, work the count, work the count, work the count, and it just makes people not swing. Like, oh, you got to wait for your pitch and you got to drive the pitch count up. Dude, sometimes you just have a ball you can hit. Just hit it. Yeah. Um, what else? I think Mark Mulder was with the Cardinals by this point. And if he, uh, before that, he was in Oakland A. But I, I think he came over in 03 or late 02. Um, but other than that, I think that was all the connections to the Cardinals. But for a team not about the Cardinals, there is a lot of connections to them. Okay. Um, I I was just looking through the trivia. I mean, there's not really much else, like, big trivia-wise. Like, I'm trying to think, like, from the filmmaking standpoint. Um, I mean, other than uh, originally Steven Soderbergh wanted to direct this film. Um, I mean, I'm not sure if you're that familiar with him. I'm assuming you're not. Um, no. I've heard the name, but other than that, I, I really don't know much about him yeah he um he was nominated for oscars for uh traffic aaron brockovich um he directed contagion if you saw that about the big outbreak like it was a fictional outbreak but um it was just like a big viral outbreak film uh he he did the netflix film uh high flying um oh um high flying bird um i'm guessing you didn't see that but no um yeah the only other interesting trivia really was that um okay i got two things actually um one the original director of photography like the guy that runs the camera department uh his name was adam kimmel and he was arrested on uh sexual assault and weapons and explosive charges and then ended up getting replaced by wally fister who was the dp who won an oscar for there will be blood so Uh, that ended up kind of, that kind of ended up being better for it kind of blew up in their face. Yeah. Or, or actually, no, no, no. Sorry, I got him mixed up with a different DP. Um, but he was the DP for uh the entire Dark Knight trilogy with Christopher Nolan. So, hmm. I mean, not not an Oscar, but you directed the entire trilogy of uh the greatest uh superhero trilogy of all time. Even though Dark Knight yeah. Returns is not that, or Rises. Dark Knight Rises is not that great. I think it's all right. I like it. I, uh, oh, okay. You just nominated that for a time machine revi- uh, reappraisal because I don't. Oh yeah. <laughs> the uh, the only other trivia. Um, I'll pull that up here. Oh, I thought it was interesting, really, that the um, that they actually only had one day to shoot in Fenway Park. So the fact that it was raining there was completely unplanned, and they just. Uh, I mean, they just made it work with it. So. I'm having been to Fenway Park and knowing what it means. I'm actually amazed they got a full day to shoot in Fenway Park. Oh, really? Um, dude, it is like at the time the movie came out, Yankee Stadium. Yeah, Yankee Stadium was down by that point. 
old Yankee Stadium was. Um, it's the oldest, or is it the oldest? Maybe, yeah, it is the oldest. Um, and most historic park in baseball, and also, like, it's a huge tourist interaction to just have tours and stuff there. Like, I'm amazed they gave them a full day to record. Because um, they have to shut down the stadium. They can't have, like, tours going through and stuff like that. So, yeah, to shut all that stuff down, where it's a thing that people, like, plan vacations around going to Boston, going to Fenway Park and touring and all that and doing all that stuff. I'm kind of amazed they gave him a full day and not like half a day. Well, I probably had to pay a pretty penny for it. Yeah. Uh But yeah, and it's oh, it's it's funny because they uh had this movie come out, they actually could have mentioned that Moneyball 1 uh ended the curse of the Bambino and the curse of the Billy Goat. Um, because Epstein is the general manager that ended the uh, curse of uh, of the Bambino and then went to the Cubs and ended the curse of the Billy Goat with uh, in Chicago. Right. I mean, and the- they and they did it with a very young team full of unproven players that they just uh, figured out. And they did like they did it with Joe Madden, too who is the king uh, talking about uh, talking about Joe Madden on the day that he coached his last game as Cubs manager ever. Um, yeah, no kidding. But he he's very over-analytical. He's the guy that really got the shift popular. Because, I mean, people would shift, but he, he started the over-exaggerated shift of, look, we're like 95% positive this guy's going to hit it to the right side. So let's just pull one guy out of position and make him like a fourth outfielder shallow. Um, and he, he is, or Epstein was the manager that ended, you know, the two biggest curses in baseball and really sports. If you think about it. Yeah. Other than the Lions curse, there's not really any huge ones left. No. Other than Cleveland. <laughs> Cleveland Indians. If you want to call the Oh, I I thought you were saying Cleveland Browns, but uh I mean No, they're just a dumpster fire, but like the Cleveland Indians <laughs> are like uh, that's who the Cubs played in the World Series that they won, and I remember watching game 7 when uh i don't remember who it was but the guy that hit the home run off the camera i was like dude cleveland finally did it and then they lost yeah just uh just cleveland in general i think we could just call that a city curse um well i mean except for lebron getting them their one ring but uh yeah the uh uh i mean i kind of i don't know i'm kind of out of uh thoughts on this other than just this was a great way to close out sports month um, I mean, I don't know. Do you have anything else you want to add to this? Uh, kind of going back to, uh, just like the importance of this time frame in sports. Uh, this really was when, um, small teams, uh, started having a chance. Uh, it's kind of when the nerdiness of sports took over and it, it wasn't so much about like, the strong macho man doing something in sports like no like you can have guys that are you know utility men but they can they can get a single uh and it's reliable that they'll they will get a hit 
and they'll drive the run home or, you know, in football, you've got, uh, uh, they have like that, like now is like the catch probability thing. And they're like, oh yeah, we've got the, the quarterback that's able to make the, the throws with like super low catch probability. Yeah. I see. I, I remember seeing ads like on TV of just like, uh, what was it? Just the other day it was like. Baker Mayfield is running out of the pocket, and he sees his receiver in the corner, but he's so well covered, and it's a 14.5% chance of catching it. But Baker Mayfield is clutch. like. Yeah. So it, it really is a very crucial time in sports. Um, and the, the document or the – yeah, the featurette documentary thing I was watching yesterday really talked about, like, how blown out of proportion it's become because – once teams started copying Oakland and uh, and small market teams that adopted adopted this because they started losing out to them, once those teams were like the Yankees started doing it, they had to find a new statistic like a new statistical way to do it. So it started getting like over analysis and over analysis and over analysis. And now you see like the term it, I've heard it called is uh, paralysis by over analysis. Like in baseball, I'll, I'll use the Cardinals as an example. Okay. <laughs> uh, they've got, well, no, like it, it really is the best example I can think of. Even if I wasn't a Cardinal fan, they've got a batter named Matt Carpenter uh, or a player named Matt Carpenter. And I've been wanting them to move on from him for like four years. And this year really kind of made it like, you know what? I'm not like rooting, like rooting against him or anything. And I'm not like, boo, he, you suck. But if if it comes out sometime that they're like the Cardinals have traded Matt Carpenter, I'll kind of just be like, finally. Um, right. He like he is he is a batter who will goes in there and he's like, we gotta work the count, we gotta do this, we gotta uh, we gotta or I gotta work the count, I gotta work the I gotta make sure I get my one pitch in my exact spot. Cool. Pitchers have figured that out and they're like. Hey, throw him uh, two strikes that are uh, breaking pitches because he's not going to want to swing at them in the beginning of the at-bat. And then he starts a lot of at-bats down 0-2. Like, cool, dude. You had strikes you could swing at, but instead you're just going to sit there and wait for your one pitch. And now you're down 0-2 in in the count, and it's really hard to get a hit or a walk after that. Um, So uh, you have have teams that will just – They'll they'll look at it and they'll be like, well, this one player we can't get for this exact amount. We don't want to we don't want to go up a little bit because then that's slightly overpaying. All right, fine. You lost out on the player, and he really could have helped your team. So it it's funny that this era ushered in ushered in a lot of success and a lot of happiness for fans of a small market team, and then has led to frustrations for a lot of fans because it's like. No one's making moves because they're overthinking everything. Just go and do instinctively that what you know to do. Yeah, just just go out there and just play baseball. Like, I mean, I I, I, I can't speak to it with quite the same kind of insider passion that you did, but I can at least empathize with that idea of just uh, numbers don't say everything. I can I've heard that before where. Yeah, you you have all you can have all this, all the statistics in the world, but you can't 
use numbers to look at a player's heart. You can't use numbers to look at a player's passion. You can't use it to yeah. look at their drive. And I thought I thought it was funny too. At, at a point in this movie, uh, uh, Billy goes into Art Howe's office and he's talking to him about why didn't you have uh, Bradford? Oh, actually, that is something I want to talk to you about is Chad Bradford in the movie. Um, but he goes, why didn't you have Bradford first out of the pen? And he goes, uh, he goes, because uh, the guy batting was, uh, I think he's like, because the guy batting's a left. And he's like, I don't care about righty lefty matchup. And I was like, wow, you never hear that mentioned in baseball movies is one of the most abundantly talked about things in baseball, especially with bullpen usages, righty lefty matchups. Um <laughs> But it's funny. Remember when we went to the game at the beginning of September and the Giants had that one submarine pitcher and you were like, why is he throwing like that? And I went, well, if uh, it's so that it's harder for the batter to pick up the ball because, you know, you have such a short amount of time to hit the ball that if you can throw someone's timing off or make it harder for them to see the ball or you can hide it a little bit longer or just your release point is so different that they can't track it as well it makes you slightly more it makes you slightly more effective and you're like no that's dumb he should retire well there's a pitcher in this movie who they're like we're going to sign him because he's effective but we'll get him cheap because everyone doesn't want him cuz he throws funny I don't. you were thinking like old baseball <laughs> I realized that while I was – I mean, I didn't remember, like, the whole conversation in the moment. But, like, I noticed while I was watching the movie, like, in that uh, – in those uh, kind of moments I mentioned before where it was, like, the slow-mo and, like, the specific lighting. The way that, yeah, he, yeah you're describing, he bent down and is, like, throwing by his knees. I was like, oh, I see – I've seen that before in real life. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and it still looks goofy to me, but – yeah, no, I looks mean... It's goofy, but it works. Like, yeah, that's, if, it, that's if it works, the, it works. That's the thing that I, I like about this movie is the Oakland A's pers- personify the we don't care, get us the results. Yeah. Like, I don't care if it looks goofy. I don't care if it's unorthodox. I don't care if it's ugly. Did you get on base? Yeah, a win's a win's a win's a win. Yeah. Yeah, other than that, I, I'm kind of talked out on the movie, too. I, I love it. No, I I do too. Like I just like I was saying before, like the film at its core really does a phenomenal job at making it so accessible in really being uh right there with them. Like it doesn't matter if you understand all the like numbers and like the stats. It's something that matters to him, and as the movie goes along, like it makes sense, like as you see the results, and really that's what it is at the end of the day. Like for, I mean, somebody like me, like I want to care about these characters, and you end up caring about these characters because, again, you don't understand ne- necessarily all the mumble jumbo. Uh, no offense, but um, at the end of the day, it, it you empathize with it, and. That's what you need out of a sports film, whether you played the sport or not. If you care about them, if it hurts when they lose, if it feels great when they win alongside with them, that's really what it is at the end of the day. And, I mean, that's the biggest thing I took away from it is that this film made me care about this team. I mean, I'm not going to follow them in real life or nothing, but um, it really it really did capture and really make it clear to me how big a moment this was for sports. And 
as a sports fan in general, like that's that's really what I really wanted the most out of this film was like justify why this was worth filming and it did tenfold this movie is i agree with you a full pan of brownies with sprinkles for me yeah all right so with that we will take a very brief break and we will talk to you about what we got going on next week we will be right back all right everybody that is it for another episode of Brownie Points, we want to thank Isla Marfin from Fugay for our Fugay. <laughs> for our bumper music. Like always, thank you so much for your music. Next week, Nick and I are only going to be going to the theaters once uh, together, metaphorically, and it is a movie that we have been anticipating for months upon months now, and it is finally upon us. We can finally see the highly anticipated and controversial Joaquin Phoenix and Todd Phillips film version of Joker. It's finally here. We can finally. We can fi- finally. <laughs> we can finally see Joker and give you our thoughts on it. I am so excited. We can. Uh, it's here. I'm so excited. It feels like cinematic Christmas. I've been waiting for this movie for so long, and I was so excited after it uh, had its debut at Venice a month ago, and we can finally talk about it. Oh, I can't wait. I've been seeing. We've been seeing stuff about it since like I was shoveling snow the first time I heard that this movie was coming out. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, we've talked about it before on Mike, but um, I just I feel like I might be a little more excited than you are. I'm guessing you are definitely more excited than me. Like I'm excited, but you are like a kid on Christmas. I know. I, <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't know. Just something about this movie. Like I just, I can't contain my excitement enough for it. I just, I'm going into it with fairly high expectations. Like it didn't help that we just saw Adastera, uh, last Astra, Astra, Ad Astra last week. And, I saw that movie in IMAX, and I got to see the Joker trailer in IMAX, and it kind of made me, like, willing to go see it there without the recliner seats and all the, like, the comforts of that, like, the creature comforts that I kind of like in a normal screening or at least even in a Dolby screening, like, and just, like, if I can geek out for a second, like... They shot it with a cam with the same cameras that they shot in game. It's called the Alexa 65, so it's meant to be seen on a big screen like in game was. And really seeing it in the IMAX, like just some it, this cinematography, it just the snippets of it we get in the trailer, like looks so gorgeous. And the fact that they filmed it in that aspect ratio that's meant to be like blown up. It's not like in that super narrow scope. It's uh, it's supposed to be seen on a giant screen that fills up everything, and uh, I just ah, – I'll let it go. I'll let it go. We'll, <laughs> uh, I'll talk about it more when we actually watch the movie, but this week, yes, we're finally going to watch Joker. Um, another movie that's coming out this week that I'm going to try to do another Dan Solo review of is uh, Lucy in the Sky. Uh, it stars Natalie Portman and John Hamm and Dan Stevenson. Steven Stevenson, I can't remember his last name. Um, he's from Legion and Beauty and the Beast. But that movie comes out uh, this week also uh, in select theaters. 
if I happen to have it near me, I will be doing a Dan Solar review of it because, um, I mean, even on the off chance it comes to you, uh, you're on a trip again, right? So yeah, I'm going to St. Louis again for a hockey game. Yeah, so it's it's my birthday weekend. Get off my case. I can do whatever I want. It, uh, yes, it's your birthday. My my birthday's Friday, so I'm I I have the weekend. So yeah, take that. It's your birthday, so uh, you're at least going to get to treat yourself to Joker, and hopefully it's as good as the yeah. hockey game. Hopefully they're both amazing. Uh, happy birthday. Hopefully they're both filled with blood <laughs> and violence. Yeah. Well, we know at least the movie will, for at least from the... Yes! Whoa. Sorry, Colorado won. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Walk off Homer. Fuck yes. Okay. Well, uh, I'll... Sorry to totally ruin your ears. Ugh, okay. Well, I'll figure out a way to edit around that. <laughs> it looked like it was going to go foul. <laughs> So it was. It wasn't like he hit it to he hit it to center field. It was like curving around the foul pole. I was like, <sighs> okay, I'll find a way to edit around that. I guess. Um, but yeah, uh, as far as we know, the early reviews, there's at least going to be a lot of blood and violence in the Joker movie. So, uh, yeah, we'll be talking about that. I will maybe be talking about Lucy in the Sky. We will keep you posted on social media if I do. Uh, and then with our time machine. We got a little bit of a special announcement for that. Uh, we are. <laughs> we have a series. You thought Sports Month was going to be insane. Yeah, we've uh, we've decided to expound upon what we did for Sports Month, and we have decided because this is the right weekend. This is the weekend to go ahead and execute this. We want to do a whole Star Wars recap for you guys we want to do a complete star wars recap from episode one all the way to episode eight including solo and rogue one uh we're not going to do in in the order that makes sense with the story yeah uh, uh, film chronological order not release chronological order we want to go narrative chronological order we are going to start off in this feed with our time machine being 1999's episode one the Phantom Menace. We are going to start off here in this feed in a regular episode with uh, not the film that started it all technically, but the first film of the prequel series. And then from the film that started dis- the disappointment with this series. Yeah. <laughs> and to your own various opinions, whether it got better and then worse or it was OK. And the, uh, it's, we'll, we'll dive into it. We're going to talk about specifically the Phantom Menace here in this feed, along with Lucy in the Sky and Joker. Joker, excuse me. Uh, but then from there on out, uh, we are going to continue talking about Star Wars as their own bonus mini episodes. They'll be released. Bonus episodes. <laughs> bonus. Um, bonus episodes. <laughs> bonus episodes. Bonus episodes. Bonus episodes. <laughs> I'm glad we both went to Stallone there. Um, <laughs> that was the only impression left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, they will. Um, we will not talk about all the Star Wars films for the Time Machines. We don't want to do that to you all the way leading up to the December 18th release of Star Wars Episode Nine, uh, The Rise of Skywalker. But we want to go ahead and give a reappraisal to every one of those films. They are going to be their 
own mini episodes. They will be released on this feed. Uh, we haven't picked a specific day yet. We're hoping to target like Wednesdays or Thursdays and then release the normal episodes on uh, Sunday or Monday like we had been before. Um, but uh, we'll obviously uh, be flexible because of because life. But uh, the big announcement, like we said, is the fact that this feed, it's or this normal regular episode schedule itself. We are only going to be talking about episode one on it, kind of as our team. Yeah, we we didn't want Star Wars to kind of bogart the the time machine reviews for like two months. Exactly. So you're only going to get episode one in our regular episodes. You'll see it in the title when we release it next week with Joker, and then every other episode. Uh, it's going to be a quick like 40 to 60 minutes like we had been uh, doing our normal segments, but they'll be their own thing. And every single week from next week on or for two Un- from, until we get uh, uh, until the week before the new movie comes out. Yep. Episode nine. We timed it out right next week. We'll start with episode one and then every single week in addition to your regularly scheduled episodes, you will get a bonus episode where we where we will recap episode two, three, and then Rogue One solo four, five, six, seven, and eight will be the penultimate episode, the last episode of these mini episodes, and then that main episode again will be episode nine, The Rise of Skywalker. We've been we've been talking about this for a few months. Uh, we decided it'd be a great opportunity to take advantage of this franchise to try this little experiment on uh we'd love to uh we'd love to talk about them all but obviously like nick said we can't dedicate the entire time machine because that means that's two months of other movies that we'd love to talk about um we don't have anything specific lined up for um the time machine itself like uh it was a fun little thing that we did for sports but um there's no coherent funny enough funny enough it was kind of an accident yeah no it it, was basically i picked a or i picked a sports movie and then uh for our trip and then dan picked a sports movie then i picked a movie sports movie for the beginning of football season and by that we were like three weeks in well yeah it was it was the bull durham rocky and then any given sunday so we decided to just write it out for the rest of the month so uh there's no thematic cohesion that we have planned uh, outside of these mini Star Wars episodes that we're going to do uh, outside of the main feed. Again, we're just going to kick it off next maybe, week. Maybe when we get to Halloween, maybe we do scary movies, but we don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll play it by ear by then. But for all intents and purpose right now, next week, we are going to be talking about Joker. I will try to probably talk about Lucy in the Sky. Again, I'll keep you in the loop if we if I end up talking about it or not. But the time machine next week is going to kick off our Star Wars recap, the entire saga, except for that animated Clone Wars film. We're not going to be talking about that film. We are strictly talking about episodes one through eight, Rogue One, a Star Wars story, and Solo, a Star Wars story. Nick, let everybody know where they can reach out to us via social media. Instagram, uh, I have apparently been saying the profile name wrong. It's brownie underscore points underscore guide. Uh, Facebook, Brownie Points Guide to Cinema, and Twitter, at Brownie underscore Cinema. All the profile pictures for that are the show logo, the bowl of popcorn with a brownie in it. Uh, Make sure you give us a like, follow, whatever you do on Instagram. Um, And also we have an email address, Brownie Points Guide to Cinema at gmail.com. 
contact us on any of those uh, to either give us countdown idea, like list ideas, like the Nicolas Cage list we did this week, uh, news topics you want us to talk about, op-ed topics where it's kind of like our opinions and thoughts on stuff. Uh, that you want us to do, time machines you want us to do, movies you want to make sure that we see, things like that. We'd love to interact with you, um, so just send us a message. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel we've abandoned, so you can find some old episodes on it, but we don't really post on it anymore. Yeah, every old episode on YouTube is from our pilot episode all the way up to The Farewell, which, God, how many months ago was that now uh, that I saw that? Um, oh, jeez, man, I don't know. Yeah, it's been a while now, so, I mean, it's not the best way to reach out to us. If you happen to be listening to us and haven't hit that subscribe button to keep getting new episodes every single week, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Give us a star review, whatever you think is fair, uh, preferably four stars or five stars. But we are on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. If you if you don't think we're a brownie, brownie pan with sprinkles, then get out. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we're also on anchor.com uh go ahead and spread the word we'd love to see our little community grow day by day week by week uh if you've been with us since the beginning you are our flowers yes <laughs> if you've been with us since the beginning thank you so much uh we love you all we love the feedback that we have been getting uh you've been very responsive on social media as of late so yeah. uh we're gonna continue since we've essentially made a return to it yeah <laughs> we're gonna continue to <laughs> again sorry for september really insane mo- month for both of yeah, us. Yeah, we're going to continue to be more active on there, um, and we'll be responsive to emails. If you send us a pretty good enough email, we'll uh, read it on air. So, with that, that is all we got for you this week. Next week, again, we are going to be talking about at least Joker and Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. We will be right... We'll <laughs> God, sorry. Second week you screwed that up. I ever told you that whenever you do start doing the closing, uh, when you we come in, I keep wanting to uh, say, uh, this you're like this episode of Brownie Points. I always want to say, and I'm Nick. <laughs> for the show intro, I always get our closing confused with the show intro, and I have to stop myself from being an idiot. Yeah, I God, I know. I I I, I you know how often I say, we'll we'll be right back versus we'll see you next week. Also, the first time we called it Brownie Bites, uh, Dan called it Brownie Bits, and I had to correct him, and that blooper you guys will never hear was absolutely hilarious. Yeah, yeah that's – nope, that's just uh, that's just for us. We're, we're never going to release a, an NSFW uh, blooper reel. We'd – we would uh we'd lose our rating. Oh, oh my god, yeah. It is very thing. it's very NSFW. So um uh, oh right. Let's try take two. Dan said the F word. <laughs> I said a naughty word. Um <laughs> God. All I all I can think of is just some fan sitting there like Zim being like, You're lying <laughs> uh, Alright, with that. I'm gonna try to watch Lucy in the Sky myself. We're gonna watch Joker together, along with Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. We will see you guys next week. It's hard not to be romantic about baseball. There's a scene with a piece of chicken, which is primarily the reason it got the NC-17. And as as that scene's starting to begin, I was talking – I leaned over to Dennis like, I don't want to see what I'm pretty sure we're about to see. And then they replaced it with a piece of chicken. And I was like, this isn't any better. Eat the chicken.
put the chicken in your mouth. <laughs> God, that movie. <laughs> um, 